Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is proudly sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes the best acrylic paints, mediums, and gesso in the business. They also make core watercolors and Williamsburg oil paints. Based in New Berlin in upstate New York, they're an employee-owned company dedicated to making the best supplies for you to make your best work. Check out their products in just about any art store or at goldenpaints.com. Evan Marion is a composer, producer, multi-instrumentalist, born and raised in Decatur, Illinois, who now lives in Brooklyn, New York. Although Evan grew up playing trombone, piano, guitar, and drums, he's primarily known for his performances and recordings on the electric bass. Most recently, he's been playing bass, keys, and singing background vocals for the electronic songwriter Elliot Moss, playing bass with Thundercat drummer Justin Brown's Nayusi, and the last bassist to play in guitar legend Alan Holtzmer's band. Evan attended MacArthur High School, where he played in the downbeat award-winning MacArthur Jazz Band. This band brought him many awards and opportunities, winning Best Soloist at multiple competitions, a full scholarship to study at Birch Creek in Wisconsin's beautiful Door Country, sharing the stage with Maria Schneider's Orchestra Big Band and Maynard Ferguson's band. Evan was also part of the MacArthur Jazz Combo, which in his junior year won Best High School Combo in the Nation by Downbeat Magazine. Evan attended the Berklee College of Music in Boston, Massachusetts, and during his time at Berklee, he studied under Matthew Garrison, Dave Fuse Fuszynski, Joe Lovano, Kenwood Denard, and Lincoln Goins, to name a few. In 2009, Evan graduated cum laude from Berklee College of Music, and the same year he was voted in the Bass Player Magazine Reader's Choice Awards, one of the top three most exciting new players. Besides leading his project with drummer Dana Hawkins, he's recorded and performed with Virgil Donati, Wayne Krantz, Corey Wong, Zach Danziger, Nate Wood, Lewis Cole, Frederick Thornhall, Mark Guyana, Victor Wooden, Ian Chang, Mike Slot, Mitski, ASAP Ferg producer Frankie P, and many other incredible music makers and instrumentalists. He's a bass faculty member at The Collective in the New School in New York City, teaching modern music to all instrumentalists. Evan stopped by to talk about growing up with music from jazz to funk, Herbie Hancock to video game soundtracks, and a whole lot more. Here's our conversation. Thank you. <laughs> I need to get one of those. <laughs> I went to his show in, uh, what was it, in Los Angeles last year in like January. And uh, he was playing with a bunch of my friends and stuff like that. And they all had their merch out and everything. And I just literally went down the table. I just bought everyone's one shirt. Just one of each. <laughs> I was like, man. And actually, this is like, uh, this is like a Gildan cotton tee. Oh, and, nice. And, and uh, I remember one of my friend's shirts was like a next level tee with like one of those high quality fabric. And actually I prefer the thick, like the Gildans actually are thicker and yeah. kind of feel a little bit sturdier, sturdier. Right. Cause the next, I don't really, the next level tees, I don't really look that good. And <laughs> even though the fabric's really nice and soft and everything, I, I like look at myself and I'm like, ah, oh, it just isn't it's not for me. Not for me. The Gildan's a little bit boxier and just kind of bigger. And I'm like, yeah, man. So this is like my new favorite. So he t-shirt. hooked you up. He hooked me up, man. Man, merch. merch. It never disappoints. Right. They still have t-shirts and seven inches in the back. 
which is like the best part, you know? It's my favorite part. Yeah, it's the best part. Um, well, let's talk about, um, I, I'm so curious about, because I found your music, and I love it. Cool, I'm thank you. really into it, and um, but I don't know a ton about you and like where you grew up and all that stuff, so how did, but is it in Illinois? Yeah, I'm from? I'm from Decatur, Illinois, Yeah, originally. Uh, I, it's like three hours south of Chicago, two hours north of St. Louis. It's really in like the middle of Illinois. It's like directly in the, the, the middle. Is there a school there that? <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a good college. There's a good high school. I mean, I, I went through a pretty, it had a great music program for me growing up. With the uh, high school or the college? Uh, well, both, I guess. But yeah. It's like from grade school to uh, all the way through high school. Um, it was the music program was led by this, uh, by this man named Jim Colbertson, mm-hmm. who, uh, just kind of led, led us all to excellence. I mean, in, in a way he just like was a really, you know, the movie Whiplash. I do. Okay. So it's, it's like that, but without the cursing violence. and violence, <laughs> it was like that. I mean, it was just like, but, but it wasn't, um, it never got to that movie yeah. kind of level of course or anything but you, you you know we rehearsed every day after school for three hours this was with the jazz band and uh when i was in high school so it was, it was intense like, for that age right pretty intense and you know he uh i mean i kind of was self-taught pretty much up i mean at that point so like you know he would throw charts in front of me that just had chord changes no written out bass lines or anything right. he, he would go all right now play one two and count Did it you off. Know it? No, I'd just be like, boo, dude, like <laughs> pedaling the root for a lot of right. things. And he would just be like, no, stop. That's terrible, Evan. That's terrible. You need to practice. And it's like in front of the whole jazz band, yeah. he would do this. And I'd be like, oh my God, I need to go home and practice. All right. And then I'd go home because I felt it was like that. Em- it was kind of embarrassing, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was just really em- like, uh, so I went home and I was like, I'm going to make sure I'm- I'll show him, you know? <laughs> Right. There's a lot of that kind of mentality, I think, at first with with everyone and him, but we wanted to prove ourselves, I think, to a to a point with him. But he um, led the whole music program. He kind of curated it since like he would find people for instruments in fifth grade. Yeah. And so I started playing trombone, and uh, I kind of grew up playing a little bit of piano. Like we had a piano in my house. My dad's a guitar player, but my dad's like a hobbyist guitar player. Kind of, he right. just kind of more sits in the front living room and jams out, you know, yeah, like yeah. plays like some Zeppelin tunes. And what was that? He, his favorite band was like Doobie Brothers and nice. stuff like that, <laughs> which is a, uh, so I was always kind of growing up with that, like acoustic guitar, like strummy thing in the background of everything in my life, which was, uh, kind of resonated with me later on. I'll, uh, it's like with my own music and, and things like that. That's actually a texture that I like always kind of end up putting yeah. subtly in my stuff that ends up kind of, maybe seeming like a it sounds like a synth but it's really just an acoustic guitar that's processed and stuff like that it's like the subconscious youth layer yeah exactly <laughs> like deep down right very right. deep down it's like that's the base level for everything but um so yeah i i uh uh started playing trombone in grade school uh jim culbertson was my teacher and then uh now, was that your choice or was i feel like the trump so my right. son is in a music program and he in middle school and he plays trombone Mm. and he plays guitar, but they don't have guitar and orchestra. So it was kind of bequested to him. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Which he was, he was like, cool, I'll do this, you know? Oh, that's great. That's great. He was uh, open to it. I wanted to play saxophone. So I started playing saxophone for like a month Uh because I thought sax was kind of like a cool instrument. Right. 
but it took me like 10 minutes to like assemble it and figure it out at that age. Like it was just taking too much time, class time and my, and, uh, Culbertson kind of, I don't know, didn't really have much patience with that. He was like, oh, maybe saxophone's not the, and I also just literally couldn't get a sound out of it at first. I was yeah. just, you know, trying to get an A or an E out of it. And it's just that squonk that you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And he was just like, hmm. And I remember my mom told me the story later on. I guess he like called my mom and was like, you know, maybe saxophone is too hard. Maybe we should get him on clarinet. Right. And my Wait, mom was that's... like, well, <laughs> my mom was like, I don't think he's going to like clarinet. <laughs> like he's just, I, I can tell you that now that he's really going to hate that. So, <laughs> so he was like, okay, okay. Well, I don't mean to be rude, but does Evan have, Evan has big lips, right? <laughs> My mom was like, uh, I think so. He's like, I think he would be really good for a brass instrument then. Maybe trombone or tuba, you know? Yeah. My mom was like, well, maybe trombone. And then she asked me like the next day and was like, what about trombone? And I was like, well, that means I get to sit next. My best friend actually at the time played trombone anyway. So there I was like, well, then I get to sit next to Kevin, my best right. friend, Kevin. I was like, sounds good. So then I started playing trombone and playing whole notes in fifth grade and so then from trombone, uh, when, I, when I went to junior high, the band director, um, uh, who was kind of like um, partners with uh, Colbertson too, like, like uh, musical partners, just yeah. like, like they really like led the programs together. His name was Steve Shepard. They needed a bass player for the jazz band, and he was like, well, Evan, trombone reads the same uh, staff, same yeah. uh, notes on the page. The bass clef, right? Ba- bass clef, yeah. and the same range. Like, the low E is kind of the lowest note on a trombone for the most part, a low E flat or whatever. And uh, so it kind of just made sense. It was like, well, Evan's already got, a, got a, kind of got a jump start on reading the music uh, for bass guitar. Now he just needs to, like, figure out how to play it. Maybe, yeah. that, maybe that'll make it easier. So then kind of just jumped right in and just, like, started teaching myself how to like read the notes like oh that's that's where b flat is okay um that's where c is just like doing like learning the f major scale at first anything in like root position with open strings you know yeah because a lot of the stuff in junior high was like blues and f and blues and b flat so uh just teaching myself really right like uh how to do all that stuff did you enjoy it right off the bat or did it feel like uh (laughs) felt like work yeah (laughs) felt like work i mean i I wanted to play guitar more than bass, you know. I was right. I, my my cousin is a was a huge influence on me growing up, and he was showing me like Rush and Black Sabbath and uh, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, like kind of like some like Yes and like all these bands. Like from, for a seventh grader, I was like, but I I was like really getting into it. But I was more into like the guitar thing, and then I was playing bass, and I always thought bass was like I was like all right, well, bass. Yeah, whatever. but Yes had like really good bass lines. That's that a, this fragile is, album. Oh, dude, I mean, so that good. makes you want to play bass. <laughs> Ra- roundabout. And, oh man! I actually just the other day with a student, uh, we were kind of going down a Chris Squire like hole mm-hmm. on YouTube and found all these isolated bass tracks on YouTube, and it was oh, like nice. I was like, oh my god, it's crazy, right? <laughs> oh, it's awesome! Just hearing just the bass, like his tone and everything. I was like, all right. It's like, uh, almost like punk sounding. Like the, the it's a lot of treble, a lot of yeah. bite, a lot of grit. Like maybe even like um, it's like the sound of just hitting. Uh, it's a lot of it's like over like overdrive. It's the sound of metal and wood almost in a way with like a little bit of like like speaker grit and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I really love that sound. And 
so yeah, kind of was like through. I guess Getty had a, a kind of a similar tone to Chris Squire too back in those days because they were both playing Rickenbackers and kind of growing up with that sound in my head. You know, even though I wanted to play guitar, I was like, oh man, maybe and it's like in my head I was like, oh maybe bass could be pretty cool. You know, yeah. learning like Cliff Burton solos and uh, what was the other one? Uh, like any of those like. Oh, there's NIB by uh, Black Sabbath that had like Geezer Butler had like kind of like a little bass solo out front of that. Yeah, it's all just like E minor pentatonic kind of stuff. But man, was it like pretty pretty ripping? You know, Even pretty pocket fun. stuff like John Paul Jones that you know, right? You could just study that. So, you know, it's, absolutely it's really good. Which I got into later on. I actually wasn't a big. Um, my cousin wasn't a, a Zeppelin fan, so then I kind of just ended up not. Same with Beatles too. Like I never, I didn't really get into the. Beatles or Zeppelin until maybe like when I was at uh, Berkeley later yeah. on, like other friends are like, Oh man, Led Zeppelin. I'm like, Oh, I never really checked it out. They're like, what? What? Yeah. You're Sacrilegious. Yeah. <laughs> there was such, I mean, like I'd never really been even heard. I thought, I thought of the Beatles as kind of just like one of those sixties, like, you know, just like, Pop. I want, I want to hold your hand kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. And then they went experimental, but I never knew what that meant, what that sounded like. I maybe knew the more popular songs, maybe, yeah. you know, like, uh, off the white album and, and things like that, but I didn't realize like how deep it went, right. you know, with yeah. with any of the, with both of those bands actually, with like musicianship and production and everything like that. Yeah, they're like for so many people, they're the front door, and yeah. it sounds like you came in through the side. Yeah, I'm kind of the guy who was like, "What's going on in here?" And it's like a big party, and I'm like the dude that kind of like just came in through the back accidentally, <laughs> or like it's like through the load in like the the kitchen door in the back. <laughs> For anybody who plays wedding gigs out there, you'll know what I mean when you have to go in through the back, and through yeah. the kitchen, through the loading dock or whatever. It's right. <laughs> well, I learned how to play guitar listening to the Zeppelin box set. Oh, wow. That okay. was basically just by ear, just teaching myself. To really? Learn. Yeah. With an electric and an acoustic? Electric. Ah, wow. Because I didn't, I could never take lessons. I couldn't afford to take lessons. So I was yeah. just playing by ear. And like, it was the time, like junior high high school when zeppelin was kind of a lot of people listened to it and i had a lot of friends who were like in metallica and like you know heavier stuff right i just never really got into the uh, super heavy stuff see i was into the heavy stuff first i love metallica I, and I, I was actually obsessed with metallica i bought all the books you know the tab books oh, yeah. and like was obsessed with finding i mean this is like still in like kind of the weird age of the internet where it was like forums you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like nothing really to like or guitar world magazines and like trying to like scour stuff to like find what kind of gear people used and uh of course now there's like you know hundreds of videos on youtube breakdowns of like how to get kirk hammett's guitar tone or right. like how to i mean you can find everything now but yeah, it, how do you navigate all that jeez <laughs> you know what i mean i i it's, it's i never do it myself but whenever i have students over and yeah. in my studio yeah, usually we just like they they always kind of bring I mean they're they're the new generation of like, you know, they're in their 20s kind of like they grew up with YouTube and grew up with all these with just everything. They're like, "Oh, man." They always end up showing me stuff, right. which is kind of great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they end up showing it's like uh you know, like breakdowns of like uh, instrument. I mean, they're like, you know, everyone's so hip to everything and I'm I'm, I'm like kind of the old guy going, "Oh, I haven't heard of that. What's the what's the thing? What what are you talking about?" <laughs> 
It's when like I was a, a kid. When I was a kid. <laughs> oh, man, I actually find myself saying that yeah, a lot now. Yeah. And that's it like... Hurts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it happens to everyone. Those kids will be old one day, too. I know. That's why I'm, I'm like, you're going to be old. That's why I'm trying to teach my students now to like stretch and like do things. But uh, like I, I did a clinic at Berkeley this summer. And uh, I mean, it, it was like their summer music program. So it was yeah. a lot of young kids, maybe like 16... 17 a lot there with their uh, a lot of them were there with their parents you know yeah you know i'm I'm, they're like what advice can you give us and i'm like man stretch you know you gotta stretch and they're all like looking at me like what are you talking what are you talking about (laughs) they're like really like like so okay cool i'm like just i really tried to like bash it over there i'm like really gotta stretch you know like just make sure you set a timer for every 15 minutes like they're just like (laughs) <laughs> yeah, not the information not they're looking do that. for. They're not looking for the long term here. They want the like the instant, you know. And 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 I have a yeah. I just I just never. I, I'm not really that good at teaching. Like I feel like really young students. I kind of have like it's like well here's the hexatonic scale and like here's how you can play it to make it sound fast and then they kind of go ooh and I'm like well that's there we go now I want to talk to talk to you about stretching all right, right. <laughs> like it's. <laughs> Really important that before you play the scale, you got to stretch your arms, stretch your hands, because uh, you might hurt yourself, you know, or like, uh, you know, because the bass is, it's, it's such a, you know, they're big frets, yeah. right? And the way I kind of approach the instrument is like this three note per string kind of system. Right. And uh, I mean, that's just a big stretch of the hand, especially on bass. And <laughs> I've had, I've, I've had one student who uh, really hurt himself. Like, I literally, like, kept hurting himself. And I finally had to ask him. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I've just been practicing this stuff you get. I'm like, oh, my God, stop. Yeah. <laughs> like, whatever you're doing. He's like, I mean. His hands were all messed up. He, like, kept breaking his pinky. Oh, jeez. Like, literally stretching it out of its sock or dislocating it, yeah, maybe. Yeah. That's what it was. And it was kept, like, I was like, well, man, you got to, like, start just warming up, play it really slow. And, like, I mean, I, I kept telling him this stuff, and he just never really... It was like every couple months he would post a new photo on Facebook and I was like, back in the hospital again. It was like his, <laughs> his hand in like an MRI machine. Oh, and I'm geez. just like, what are you doing? It popped out again. <laughs> popped out again. <laughs> are, then, there, are there some people who just have too small of hands to play like the kind of things that they want to play? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, of I mean, I guess you can do it, but it's just not. I think you have to have an idea. instrument that's more built for that. You know, yeah. there's there's short-scale basses now, which yeah. I'm, I'm actually pretty... I, I, I love short-scale basses because not, not only are the companies, like, building them right and, like, they feel good, but then it's just, like, the reach isn't as big anymore yeah. and, and it uh, doesn't hurt my shoulders as much. You know, it's like a lighter instrument that's... Right. And it's still a bass. still sounds really good and I'm I'm thinking that's, like... If if the physical thing like if, if somebody thinks they have pretty small hands, then man, you can just get a short scale bass and do all the same stuff. You right. know, yeah, that's 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 yeah. Can't, can't do that with upright bass though. No, that's a different creature. That's, that's a different creature. I grew up playing it a little bit, but I I was always you know I'm a, I come from rock and yeah. everything, and, and upright just seemed uh, I just never I just kind of did it to do it like you know just uh, fill that curriculum right. kind of part but it was never really uh i really tried to get good at it though I, at one point it was like for one semester uh so after high school i went to millican university in my hometown just for for two years and it was mainly like classical repertoire and, like a music centric school yeah it's, it's it's definitely well 
I mean, I you know, it's, it's not a, knowing that school. So I'm it's not. fine. It's 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 in Decatur. It's mainly known for its like maybe musical theater department. I yeah. mean, at least when I went there, it was the musical theater department was actually having graduates go off to New York City and Chicago and L.A. and like actually work in plays right. and everything. Um, the music department just seemed more uh, classical driven. Like they're churning out a lot of really great classical musicians and a couple really great contemporary musicians too but it just seemed like the uh the 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 emphasis was still on jazz orchestra you know that that big band versus like big orchestra kind of thing and not i mean they had a commercial music program but it wasn't really like it wasn't what i was what i was looking for in the end and and but it was a great place for me to like i don't know just like still practice. It was like still keeping my head in the game and practice and get myself. I always wanted to go to Berkeley. That was yeah. like the end, the end game was like, I got to go to Berkeley and study electric bass. <laughs> is Berkeley, I mean, obviously Berkeley is Berkeley. Is that, but is that kind of like the focus? I mean, there's, cause there's other music like Oberlin and other, other schools sure, that are yeah. known, but is Berkeley just the one that is just so high profile? That's what. Yeah. I think there's a, just, I mean, I, I loved going through their list of graduates, right? Or not even graduates, maybe just people that just went there. Because yeah. a lot of people didn't graduate. They don't then. finish, right? <laughs> they yeah. don't finish the school. And uh, I was actually not even about to finish this. It took me a long time to get my bachelor's degree. It took yeah. me like four or five years, like to a solid five years, actually. Yeah. Uh, the victory lap, we call it. Yeah. <laughs> man. <dude. laughs> it just took... So much, I mean, like after that first year of Berkeley, I was like, man, I really, it was like the, it was 2007, 2008 and, and the recession was kind of like scaring everything and everyone. Yeah. And, uh, the loan companies, I was, I, I didn't have any scholarships when I went to Berkeley. So I was just kind of relying totally on Sally Mae and and Fed loan and all these companies. I'm guessing it's not cheap. Well, I mean, they were just kicking up the interest rates like so high that, I mean, my parents were like, I... I, I don't know if this is going to be a good idea anymore. Right. And I was like, well, shit. <laughs> All right. If I'm here for, I've already been here one year and I've already met a lot of people. Maybe that's just good enough. Yeah. And then I started looking for like studio jobs, but then I, I heard, like, I thought that was a thing still. It's like, Oh, I'm a bassist, like, like hitting session stuff, session stuff yeah. right. Which I, I came to, I mean, I, from each and every studio that I talked to, everyone said the same thing. I was like, Oh yeah, that's not really a thing anymore. Like we have, if if there's not much work for that anymore, and if we do have it, like it's really like we have one or two guys that kind yeah. of does it, or like an engineer just will do it in house, maybe. And <laughs> great, that job line is just gone. Yeah, I was kind of like, all right, well, <laughs> what what else? Hmm. And then I started looking into like, I mean, I was always really big into MySpace. I know I'm jumping around a lot and talking about no, jump <laughs> past and present. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> future i'll talk about the future later i know some i know some stuff man oh cool <laughs> uh but uh, but um uh i actually completely lost oh so my the studio <laughs> my space oh yeah maybe i should have maybe it was a good thing that i lost my train of thought well so my space was a thing right and right i was really big into i, I loved it i loved the social networking part of it and i and uh i was like meeting all these people all over the world and posting my music up there and I, I just really, really enjoyed using it. And I started networking with it, and I remember kind of like meeting uh, actually some like pretty, like just sending messages to like just cold messaging like bands mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and just seeing if they would like respond like and, and just be like, hey, I'm a bassist. I would love to. like I was kind of like I wasn't like a, 
like aggressive or anything. I'd be like, I'm a bassist. Uh, if you guys ever need a bass player, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in Boston and like, <laughs> like just emailing like Weezer yeah. and Mute Math and like just bands. And actually, a lot of them got back to me and they're like, oh, you know, we already have a bassist, but it's really nice for you to reach out. You That's know? cool. And I'm like, wow. It was like the first like that veil was broken between right. like you know this world was getting smaller kind of thing yeah and now it's like yeah through instagram and all these other things everyone just seems so like right there like yeah. accessible and everything the middleman the record label and the pr people it's just like oh, i'll just message someone it was like messaging just myspace and it's like it was it was such a cool era to, to kind of like start to network in and yeah. really kind of figure out my my path and like doing my own music and, and things like that i don't know well, did you at did you end up taking off time, um, or did you stay in Berkeley? I stayed at Berkeley. Yeah, stayed the course. Stayed the course because uh, at that point, you know, I'm already like uh, fifty grand in debt. Right. You know, and and my parents were like, you know, I mean, if you stop now, <laughs> you might as well get the degree. Basically, yeah, it's like yeah. just keep going, spend all the money, and let's just we'll figure it out later. I was like, cool. Yeah, my parents were actually really awesome about just kind of pushing me to stay and that's a gift. Not, not worry about the, the loan thing. Right. They're like, we'll figure that out when you graduate and, and then uh, just keep piling on the loans and <laughs> <laughs> Bernie will get elected one at <laughs> yeah. some point. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, that whole thing with, I, I mean, I love Bernie Sanders and uh, Elizabeth Warren and, and but the, the <laughs> I, it's like with them forgiving the student debt, I'm like, I'm almost done paying off my student debt, which I'm oh, really proud right. of. Yeah. But um, at the same time, I'm like, well, shit, maybe if I just waited. Yeah. <laughs> like, waited it out. Because yeah. I just should have just waited and kept deferring for like 10 years. <laughs> That's going to be the rub. You know what I mean? Because there's going to be either the people who it's the people waited, who are jaded. Yeah. And then the interest just is crushing and they have to pay it anyways. And, yeah. you know, false hope. Or they waited so long that they're going to be like, well, it doesn't apply to you. Yeah, you haven't been in school in the last ten years or something like yeah. that. I'm, I'm or, wondering what the time. Yeah, limit what's the statute you know? of limitations on that? Like, I was yeah. a student back in 1938. <laughs> I have a lot of interest accrued. <laughs> I, I mean, man, I still have friends who are like still in school. They've just yeah. been school hopping for like, I don't know. I mean, they're in their like late 30s and they've been school hopping for almost, well, I guess 20 years. You know, oh man, that cloud of. <laughs> Debt. of debt over top of you becomes a lot less abstract when you get out in the real world yeah, and they seriously. come knocking on the door oh it was it was really rough graduating from berkeley and being all excited about you know being done yeah and then i stayed in boston while all my friends moved to new york and that was a bad move i mean it was ultimately it was a good move in hindsight that i just because i didn't i wasn't ready to kind of move i had a good apartment i liked where i lived and I thought I had a good gig. <laughs> I was playing with this guitar player, this professor, uh, David Fusinski, up at Berkeley, and uh, playing in his band a lot. And uh, when I graduated, I remember like he asked me to do a gig, and I remember being like, oh, no, I can't do that one. Uh, but hit up this other bass player. Uh, he's really good. He's a freshman, and he just started school. Maybe you could play with him. He was like, all right, cool. And then I never heard back from like he never called me for another gig and i was like oh like you know four months later in boston i was just like still sitting around i'm like oh man (laughs) and then uh, come to find out that well so that other bass player was mono neon uh, the oh yeah the internet phenom right uh, his his name is Dwayne, and uh uh 
he was a freshman when I was a senior and he came into Berkeley and I mean, he was, he's always been incredible. He's always yeah. been super gifted, super musical and him. And he really, Fusinski's an interesting guitar player. He uses a fretless guitar. He's really into micro tonality, uh, Indian and Arabic music and Turkish music and, uh, really into it in those kind of inflections in his yeah. playing. And Dwayne just like, grabbed right a hole of that and was just so into it like i think he was the he was pretty much the ideal bass player for fusinski i think at that time because fuse was really looking for somebody who could hold a good groove down and 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 play with really heavy pocket but then also like be able to take a solo in that style like how he is so it rounds the concept out for his band you know so you just sourced yourself out of that game. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and so then I was sitting around Boston just playing Call of Duty. I just got PlayStation 3. <laughs> so just playing a lot of Call of Duty. I was getting really good at Call of Duty. Like, really good. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really... Uh, you know, I, I like to pride myself that I'm a pretty humble guy. But when it comes to video games, I, I'm, I know when I'm really good. Man, That's I'm, I'm so good at Call of Duty. Yeah. I'm so good at Call of Duty, and now my new thing is Star Wars Battlefront. I'm really into Star Wars Battlefront, which is Call of Duty, but with Star Wars characters. Oh, so it's, right. It's like even next level for my nerdum in my, like, my brain. I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> you got to be careful. There's now like I'm a stormtrooper. Pro, pro football players who can't play because they play too much like Fortnite or something. So you got to watch and see, fingers there. And now there's Fortnite, and like there's all these new games that... I don't know anything about mm-hmm. now. I'm and I'm I'm making myself feel older, right? By like right. I like go on Reddit or any of these forums, and they're all talking about Fortnite and all these games, and I'm like, oh, I don't know what they're talking about. And like I like watch clips of it, and I'm like, I just don't think this is kind of cartoony. And I'm like, oh boy, I'm old now. Like I'm, I don't just give me classic Call of Duty. Like <laughs> I'm that like old video game nerd. <laughs> just give me the classic like side scrolling. No, maybe not side scrolling, but. <laughs> That's uh, where I live, I think. <laughs> Just give me Pong. <laughs> That's where I feel comfortable. Two rectangles and a circle. A circle. That's hard forth. enough. <laughs> and a paddle controller with a that, dial on it's, it. <laughs> it's all the same level of tenseness when you play a game or something right. like that. It's like, it's the, at that on edge of, <laughs> it's like you watch it and you're like, all right, I got it. All right. It's like, uh, uh, I always joke with my wife, like whenever I play video games, I'm really tense. I just sit there and I'm just like, she could like pull a chair out from under me and I'm just still sitting perfectly like stress and anxiety. Yeah. It's like balled up into focus and just like watching the screen and like having this like, you know, one melody, maybe like two or three milliseconds of like latency response yeah. kind of thing uh, that I find so interesting. It's like, if I have, it's, it's, it's kind of like that thing that it's the zone right like yeah. when you're in the zone of playing and you really focus hard like you nothing else in this world just the world could collapse and you're still watching the screen and just looking for you know an enemy yeah <laughs> or looking for something that's moving really right that becomes more important than anything than anything you, else you tune it out <laughs> so that's what i was doing in boston and i was still trying to practice but at the same time i was kind of going well what am i practicing for like let me uh I don't know. Well, let, me, let me write. You know, that's when I started working on my own music, like pretty primarily. It was like just out of boredom. Right. <laughs> it was like, well, I don't have any gigs. Uh, let me just write music. Let me like open up. Uh, uh, I was using this program called Reason. Oh yeah. And I'd always always messed with it in school and everything, trying to make music and and things like that. But like, I really started trying to go uh, in depth and like being like, well, 
let me let me just see what the MIDI grid is. Like, spend a whole afternoon just, like, really dicking around with, like, the MIDI grid. Just going, okay, C6, that's way up there. And just starting to learn how to read uh, the piano, but uh, what is it, vertically, yeah. basically. And, like, reading that vertically, uh, looking at note lengths and everything, like, uh, lengthwise. And, and it became this whole other language to, like, learn, almost, right. in a way. Wait, was that based out of just the program itself, or were there people using it whose music uh, that you were interested in? Like, what was the impetus for that specifically? I around so I was really into jazz at Berkeley. I think before Berkeley, uh, I was really into band, you know, like rock bands and, and things. I was really into Incubus and uh, all these kind of bands that had like they were starting to do like the, you know the DJ integration. This like kind of like it's electronic stuff that's integrated, but. Not really, you know. It's still yeah. masked by rock. It's a rock band, right? Uh, like Lincoln Park even had like sequences and electronics behind their stuff, and I was always like, "Oh, that's cool." Uh, and then it kind of morphed into like I was really into Radiohead, you know, like went full on. Like I was really into Tom York and all those dudes, and um, and then kind of abandoned that when I got to Berkeley. I just got really, everyone's into jazz, you know, yeah. or fusion or whatever, like Weather Report and Herbie Hancock and. Uh, also, a lot of artists I had never heard of before, like guys that are, were kind of like not really up and coming, but they were like in New York and they were playing gigs and they're like the drummer, you know, uh, Robert Glasper Experiment yeah. was a band that was like everyone was talking about him. But he everyone. was on Blue Note, wasn't he? He's kind I of think a big so. deal. His first record, I think, was more of a jazz album, but it still had uh, Chris Dave, I think, and Derek Hodge, who, uh, you know, Derek, Derek was like one of the first guys that I heard could who could like play upright and then when he went to electric it was like whoa it's like he could double in the right way because most upright guys still sound like upright on electric to me like there's uh, i can tell when a guy has studied both (laughs) or like like goes both directions i think they have a, a kind of a sound that uh translates over to both but i can also tell the dudes who like straight up play electric you know and then like don't focus on because it's a technique thing too Like it's the, like an architecture of movement too, because the way that you're an upright bass is total different physical. You know, they have the one, two, four fingering system. So a lot of these guys don't use their third finger. I can see it in their uh, their left hand technique, and uh, that's why it's pretty pretty obvious that I don't play upright only because I, I use a, a fingering system of one, three, and four when I play like whole steps. I don't really use my middle finger a lot, and that wasn't really out of choice. It was just like the way I just started playing and developing. I just yeah. thought it made more sense to use the third finger. Uh, for for that kind of thing, but I was really into Derek Hodge and and uh, Tim LaFabe uh, with Wayne Krantz's group, and I don't know all these guys that I'd never heard of before, but I knew they were in New York. You know, they were yeah. like kind of working and playing the Fifty Five Bar and doing all these like really cool gigs. And uh, my friends had you know all like uh, what is it? You know, just like bootleg. You know, they would go to the Fifty Five Bar with their Zoom recorder. Zoom recorders just came out. You yeah, know? <laughs> it was like oh my god, you can record anything. You know, it's like we could record. I, I love that because that, that felt so fresh. It was like you could do a jam session with your friends, record it, and then like listen back and be yeah. like, "Wow!" Like any I'm, length too. Like you yeah. just go long. Oh, super! I mean, I remember you know like recording a two-hour jam session, then cutting it up, and it's like getting used to like audio editing just yeah. from that, just like an audacity or whatever. Uh, so the electronic thing, I was kind of it, it, that happened after I graduated from Berkeley because there was this whole rise that kind of happened like, out of Los Angeles and out of maybe, like, the UK, really. Uh, I was always in the square pusher, though, growing up, I should say that. It was like, I was going to say you had to like Tim Jenkins. I mean, man, I mean, that that was, like, 
I think I heard Square Pushers' Hard Normal Daddy album when I was like 16 or something, and that blew my mind. And so yeah. that was always a constant record. I always followed his career, but his albums were always so different. And yeah. so some albums I really didn't dig. I would just be like, well, this is pretty abstract, right? There's like him playing all the instruments, and it's like free jazz. I think that was like Budokan Mind Phone or Music is Rotted One Note. Yeah. Those albums, I was kind of like, whoa. <laughs> my brain wasn't, wasn't there yet. Wasn't, wasn't yeah. ready. But Hard Normal Daddy, it was really accessible and What's well, uh, funk? It's, it's funk, man. I mean, it's like everything is just Drum like and groovy. And, funk. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the textures and the colors seem so real or organic because they were. I mean, it was just him recording drum machines into his computer and like him recording bass and everything felt direct. But he knew how to. Uh, I didn't realize this until later on. But it, what makes that album so so special is I think his use of reverb. Yeah. On the whole album, that's what. Uh, for the longest time, I'd try to do the same thing, <laughs> like sit and program drum sequences. And run them in my, in, into my computer and stuff, and I'd listen back and I'd be like, "Man, this just sounds pretty digital and everything." And, and then I slowly started realizing, "If man, if, like the use of room reverbs and then just the you know wet dry mix of just like just a little bit of wet, a really short room uh, decay, you know, makes things sound in the room. It makes yeah. it sound real." And and he was so good at that on that on that record that it just really blew my mind. And, uh, and it had a little bit of the eight bit video gaminess that I think that you're fond of. Yeah, so <laughs> that was another, <laughs> another. Let's go back to the past, right? <laughs> so I mean, I grew up a huge gamer. I just love video games. I love Nintendo music. I was always into, uh, and I, I, again, something that I realized later on. It's like you know, composing a video game is like composing a movie. It's like there's thematics yeah. that you don't even realize are worked into the entire score. You know, it's like all these. It's like maybe the baseline is the melody that you've heard in the intro song for like one of the songs later on. It's like all this like thematic stuff. That's just kind of like, it's the musical DNA, right? right? Like it's like kind of like in everything. I always thought that was so cool. Uh, like the whole idea of, uh, I don't know, meshing those two worlds like jazz and and video game music and, and like the harmony. And it seemed like, it seemed like video game musicians were always influenced by, well, like raw, like like fusion, like yeah. Ma Vishnu orchestra, or uh, maybe not Ma Vishnu. Although there's probably soundtracks that are influenced by that, but maybe more like I don't know, like the Final Fantasy stuff sounds so modern to me. Yeah. Like uh, all the, those compositions sound like something like Joe Zawinul could have wrote, right? Or Wayne Shorter, even. <laughs> like, well, and that jazz was so big in Japan, you yeah, know, that right. I think that had a heavy hand in that. I think know. like a lot of the Mega Man games. Like a lot of the shreddy guitar, like soundtracks. I think that, I mean, it just sounds like to me a lot of those guys were influenced by Alan Holdsworth yeah. like at the time because I think Alan was like, he was huge in Japan in the eighties. I mean, there's nobody like crushing it, crushing the guitar like how he was doing it, and I think that inspired a lot of like, like I don't know, it's like the yeah it influenced their culture, you right. know, for in a, in a big way. I think. And uh, so, yeah, Square Pusher was a constant from 16 on till like now. But again, the albums are always kind of like, you know, I'd like this one more than that one. Uh, and when I got to Berkeley, it was still listening to Square Pusher because he was still putting out stuff, right? But it was like getting different. <laughs> like each record just seemed like he was getting a little bit brighter with his textures. And yeah. that started losing me a little bit because it started seeming it started seeming like it was more digital or like something was changing in his world that... I, I was just kind of going, all right, well, and then I just started going totally organic. I started listening to just jazz, and like Brad Meldow, and like all these, uh, Schofield. Was uh, that, see, that's uh, it's really interesting to me, and listening to music, and then 
listening to the music that you're recording versus the stuff that you're playing in videos and stuff online. Sure. And then obviously there's that jazz connection, but like figuring out where you entered into the stream with the whole jazz thing. So right. you came into it in an environment where that kind of jazz was happening at the moment. Yeah. But were you were you going back? I mean, obviously you're aware of you know everything from like you know fix spider back to like yeah. you know to Coltrane or whatever. But I mean, were you through just, school? Right. You know, it's like through Berkeley. You that was like it? Yeah, it was like all the classes, all the music history classes. Of you know, we go through listening to the catalog of everyone. Yeah. And uh, I'd realize Coltrane's catalog, I'm like, oh, I really dig the later stuff over the early. You know, it's like I started figuring out periods of all these musicians' lives that I really identified with, like Miles, uh, his electric period. I yeah. love Bitches Brew, and I loved... Uh, On the Corner. Yeah, so yeah. Like, it's just brilliant to me. Um, and, and so I, I started gr- listening to more, because it sounded almost like... Elect- I mean, it's electronic, right? I mean, well, that's the genesis. Elect- you know what I mean? That and dub yeah. is kind of like the genesis of electronic music. Exactly. Really. And in Weather Report, I even started really... I always thought Weather Report was cheesy in high school. I liked Jocko, and I liked... Uh, what Jocko was doing, but I, and it was like, Oh, is that one old sounds? Eh. And then it just took a couple years to soak in. And then I realized, Oh my God, it's like my favorite sounds in the world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like off of heavy weather and Mr. Gone and, and, uh, uh, black market, that record, like all the Zawinul sounds. I was always like, Oh man, actually, no, th- these are really, that's like really cool layers. Like if I, if I can think of these layers in my own music, maybe like placing them around, arranging them around. And it just kind of all started morphing into like, how I would approach like writing stuff and, and reason reasons, a very digital program, everything at the time, all the synths and everything were like in the box. Yeah, like it was in the house. Yeah. It's like, you couldn't use outside stuff like reactor. I was really into like trying to use reactor and like building my own stuff, but that was a little bit over my, my head at the time, like yeah. trying to like build modular synths and things like that. I'd always like get really excited and start it and be like, Oh man, this is going to be a lot of work right. to just get some beep boops happening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like spend six hours just so it goes and modulate. And it's like, all right, that's still not a song. Right. <laughs> like, it's oh like, boy. like painters have that idea of like, Oh, I'm really going to grind my own paint from pigments and do all that. Shit. And at a certain point you're like, I'm just going to spend all my time here, like making yeah. the ingredients right. instead of actually making the work. So. I think, and I think if, if, well, especially with paint, I guess there's a, uh, I guess maybe, a, uh, there's a shelf life to it. I yeah. imagine, you know, before, uh, and I think with, with, with making, making sounds and everything, there's a shelf life too. It's like, you might spend six hours working on something and then the next day you go, ah, it's just crap. Yeah. Like I'm just going to, it's like, it's, it's bad. It know? didn't work out. It didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, or if you go into the mindset with it, like, all right, well this day is just dedicated. I've, I started doing this lately so I don't, uh, get discouraged if I don't make a song in a day. It's like, I'll, uh, I'll say, okay, just today is only going to be sound design. Yeah. I'm just going to make a palette of stuff, make the colors, right? Right. Make the textures, make the things. I'm not going to start a song. If I do start a song, I'm not going to like, I'm going to go back to making colors. I'm going to check myself just so that I don't distract myself. I'm I, you know, it, this, this endless digital thing, right? It's like, you can do anything with it. It's like, as soon as you start writing a chord progression, you're like, Oh, maybe that sounds not good. Let me go look for sounds. But it's like, no, 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 no. But you just wrote one chord. <laughs> like, why are you already dicking around searching through presets for another sound? It's like, no, no, just keep writing. And so I've had to like really tell myself like composition first, just bring up a default piano sound, con- uh, chords and composition, getting the form, getting sections laid out as best as I can. 
an emotion just through harmony. Right. Uh, I think that's the the biggest thing that I, I I've kind of realized over a decade of trying to make mu- my own music is, uh, like get the emotion from harmony first. Get the form. Get that set. Then wait, an, you know, the next day, yeah. Then dick around with sounds and layers, right. and like, we'll make the make the B section feel bigger. Well, how do maybe I layer another brighter synth, you know, with a piano, and eventually that piano gets kind of pushed to the bottom of the palette, to where I just end up deleting the track because right. all the, the chords and sounds are all coming from other places, other synths. It's like a it's like a pencil sketch. Yeah, and instead of going full on with oil paint at the beginning, it's exactly. like oh, let's just pare it down to <laughs> let's just get the, the pencil on the page, get the idea down, <laughs> yeah. then we'll bring color in tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but, which I cause it's kind of like now there's well, especially with what you're talking about with that kind of software. I mean, there's it's like the candy store is everywhere around you. It's it's so oh, hard. Man. I'm sure it takes great discipline to focus. Yeah, and to not just go be like, oh that's cool and that's cool and just. Throw it, it all together. It's, it's I think that might be one of the greater challenges today, I creatively, so. is to be able to to sort of, you know, turn off the noise and focus on a framework and yeah. build things up. Like, how do you have the patience to build up? Like, think about someone like <laughs> Coltrane, right? And who who started off with you know, you know, how has he started off pre bebop, and then, you know, migrating through that change of of playing. Mm-hmm. slowly and then working into pushing that into modal thing i mean that's a long it's a long journey yeah I mean, and it's, it's years and it's right? not and nothing about any of that stuff it's all organic and nothing was instantaneous yeah. it's now it's like okay which should i choose from and that's that's i mean that's the the thing nowadays is like it seems so it's an it's like it's just a choice it's like a choice rather than like learning it's almost like learn i don't know i've always learned things the hard way <laughs> i've learned things by making a lot of mistakes like by yeah realizing i've wasted an entire week on trying to find the right sound when i only have one chord yeah <laughs> it's like i i uh i think now like i follow even instagram pages that now like music production tip number 56 don't waste time trying to find sounds <laughs> just like right <laughs> i'm like right and then everyone's like good tip i'm like Man, I needed this like <laughs> I needed this so long ago, right. and I've just been kind of forcing myself to like learn everything because I, I I I I'm self taught. I just kind of do what I what I do uh, with with composition. I mean, I didn't study composition. I didn't study electronic production. I didn't do anything like that. This is just all through trial and error. Yeah, <laughs> sitting there just going, oh man, and then like making a bad maybe making like ten bad tunes. And then there's one that emerges that I'm like, well, how I don't even know how I just did this. Yeah, <laughs> and that was like years of like having one tune out of like an entire year, and those would usually be the tunes that I put out with uh, Dana Hawkins, mm-hmm. like with, with my my drummer. Yeah, drummer. I would just kind of like have <laughs> I'd make like seventy or eighty songs in a year, and there'd be one. <laughs> how do you like, know what that one is though? I don't know. It's a feeling. Yeah, it's a feeling of just like it's like it hits. It hits if it feels good without the click on. Yeah, and if it feels good just without any demo drums on it, then I'm kind of like I get excited about the possibility. I get a mad. It's like the imagination part of it, right? It's like you kind of go, "Oh man, I could just hear his freedom, like just how free he can be on this without like uh, telling him what to do." Yeah. It's like I, I have a lot of tunes that are like. I've never, I, I, I kind of pride myself on this. I never told Dana really what to play ever. <laughs> like I've let him, 
uh, we have this one song called flashes that's in three and like for the longest time he actually thought it was in four like four four <laughs> right and it was actually in three four because i just never told him and it was only until like this tour that we did earlier this year or maybe was it in europe last year or something where i where he, like i told him i had mentioned offhand that it was in three and he was like what <laughs> he's like i've been playing the song in four, four. And i'm like oh, i always wondered why you played kept playing crashes on two like on <laughs> instead of one like on beat two instead of beat one. And I was like, yeah. Well, I guess it worked out, though. I always thought it was cool. I thought it would just like be filling into the the, the bar. He's really playing around the four. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that's the thing. I was like, well, you're, you weren't making it like, you're not playing a groove in three and nailing it. It was like, you was always kind of like, that's what I loved about it. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, it's like the Elvin Jones factor. It's like <laughs> never playing on the one or the two. You know, it's right. like playing around the beat. Playing around the beat, which as a bass player, I think it's. I think drummers can actually do that. I think with with bass playing, uh, it's cool to displace it and maybe it, you know I, and wait and come in with with like a riff. But I but I've also kind of learned learn the rule of one. Yeah, <laughs> which is like the boots Bootsy Collins thing from like yeah, I remember he had some instructional video where he's sitting there and he's like, it's all about the one. You can place anything around the one. I think he's talking about his time with James Brown. I think I've seen like, that. You know, and he's just like one. And you can do anything you want around it as long as you hit one. You're it's coming like back to the. It can be as syncopated as you want, but just boom, boom, and then you can make the phrase two bars. And then you kind of like expand the phrase from there, so it's like one bar phrase, uh, two bar phrase would be like boom, boom, you know, it's like yeah. at that quarter note. Uh, what is it? One, two, three, four. Yeah, some something like that. Where it's like two bars, and then yeah. you could do three bars, and that's like actually the kind of the stuff that I end up practicing a lot of the times now. It's like, uh, and, and that's how tune, you know, like new songs end up getting built and developed, or maybe even like it's actually more uh, with, with my with my music. I actually I start everything in the computer. I don't write from the from the bass, and uh, then the bass is usually the last thing that I add on it. So I always try to like get the fa- the sound of the feeling and everything from just the. The computer, <laughs> which is really hard to do because it's just this. Usually, that's when I go to play bass on something. I'm like, oh yeah, this section's too long. Like, because yeah. then you feel the actual, you know, you're actually feeling something, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, uh, like, oh yeah, this solo section. You know what? This should be half as long because I feel like I start to run out of steam on a solo or something like halfway through it. It's like okay, maybe it's okay. And cut and drag and paste over and. And end up fine tuning with the bass for sure, but I always end up writing the bass lines as the last thing to glue things together. Yeah, and there's also like you know this infinite digital world that we live in. It's like I'll go to lay down a bass line and realize, oh, you know what, that synth thing. I go back into the process and like, it's like, oh, you know what, rearrange the pieces uh, so that the bass fits better. Right, because there's no like start to finish. There's no A to B. There's like A to B, and then you might backtrack all the way to A, and then do a whole other thing rearranged from that end point you know the, yeah. from the from the b and like uh yeah so it's a really i i really don't like that's why i like working by myself most of the time right because my you process control it, right? i control it and i i uh i really like my process is messed up i i think it's messed up maybe everyone just kind of does this but uh uh i i mean i just kind of end up it's a lot of trial and error messing messing things up <laughs> Closing without saving, then reopening it. <laughs> you know what I mean? right. It's like where I'm like, oh, I've gone too far, and yeah. oh no, now I can't control Z it. Uh, 
<laughs> just go back to an earlier version in Dropbox or whatever. That's why I, I love using Dropbox mainly because it keeps like earlier versions of the in. It's like, like oh, archive yeah. of what you've done, yeah. It's like, oh, an hour earlier, that's before I messed it up. And then I spend an hour messing something up, like, beyond repair, and I'm like, oh, let me just go back. <laughs> yeah, that's a gift. It's, it's so awesome, because I, I, it allows you to be completely fearless in a way, too. You can yeah. be like, well, all right, this is my A section, and this is my B section with my composition, but what if, what if the, the B section is the, now the A section? And now I need to write a new section. Well, let me experiment with that. Save this as, um, I don't know, blah, 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 alt version, you know, <laughs> just so you have an, uh, that's like the alternate form version. I do that all the time with like trying to find uh, different um, forms and things that like work out because sometimes it works out for the best. Like uh, the A sections kind of like, you know, it's like the choruses are always the choruses, right? They're the big, big parts of the songs. But what if you started with a chorus, right? right? Why, and a lot of EDM songs, I think, do that now. It's like, why waste anybody's time, like, starting with the, with the first, <laughs> just start with the chorus, like, uh, like, Maroon 5 song, and everyone's just like, they do, like, a little intro, and then they're just, like, full on. The hook. Know, the right, hook, from right? From the beginning. The yeah. hook. That's the thing. It's like... Who has time? Who's that 30 seconds to, like, <laughs> warm up for the song? We gotta get them. We gotta get them fast, man. The short attention span society. I, <laughs> that thought always creeps into my brain every once in a while when I'm working on stuff, and I try to shun it away because I'm like, all right, all right, whatever. Uh, you know, like, don't because that's worrying about kind of what other people like listenership it, it, in you a know, way. Listenership, yeah. Right. I mean, I mean I, do you think? I mean, because your work, like your stuff, is feels well. I mean, it, it feels about the music, but it also. There's groove stuff too that appeals, I think, to anyone in a way, but it does get heady in some of it as well. For sure. So, are you just trying to balance that all the time? Yeah, I think I think it's it's like kind of it's doing what I want to do, right? I mean, it's like I, I I love all kinds of music. I mean, there's certain kinds of music that I gravitate more towards, and maybe it's even now it's like based in nostalgia because I'm already like ten years outside of like school and all, and all these things and and now it's like well what did i like when i was younger video game music so now that's all i like listen to on youtube if i'm like cleaning my studio or anything i just like listen to video game music and then uh listen to schofield and miles and it's like yeah, just like kind of listen to all these various things and then uh try to create my music just you know off of whatever i like to do it's like oh i'm just gonna the things just kind of uh I mean, there's for every song that I put out, there's also 10 songs that I experiment with other things that I think, uh, this is not a very good idea. <laughs> like, to combine, uh, like, let's say, like, real, like, I'm, I've been trying to mess around with, like, uh, very tense chords, like, messy and kind of style. Like, yeah. I'm in, like, 20th, 21st century, I guess it's 20th century, like, uh, harmony, like, mm-hmm. really, like, pushing voice leading, and, and it's almost like, uh, uncomfortable you know yeah but then trying to place it with like my I, you know i've been building a, a, a bank of sounds over the years and placing with sounds that i know are familiar to me it's like oh this is my chiptune patch or this is my uh my melody patch but then i listen back and i'm like boy this is really out and this just makes me uncomfortable what are people gonna think about i bet they're gonna get this feeling too <laughs> yeah uh sometimes you kind of like get the feeling like it's this is you know you're listening back to something and you go well, this is really good. Well, this makes me feel happy. If I feel happy, maybe there's other people that will feel happy from listening to this too. It's like you kind of have to rely on your gut instinct that, uh, well, this feeling that I'm getting, this is what I'm getting. I'm, I, I hope other people get it too without bashing it over their heads, right? right? 
so sometimes I like to kind of take it, reel it back a little bit, maybe make something that's a little bit more uh, groovier or funkier. I mean, everything's got to kind of come from a place of bass most of the time anyway with my stuff because that's yeah. like the final thing that I end up kind of figuring out. But uh, I don't know. It's it's an, it's a, it's just something that I I try to like not think about it too much when I'm just writing stuff. I'm not even thinking about releasing anything. You know, it's just, I'm just kind of making me as therapeutic really. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm, I'm like with all art for, I think everyone is like, you just get lost in the process, lost in the process. And it's actually almost disappointing when it's done. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it almost feels like, uh, and then that's when I get worried. That's when I'm like, uh, maybe people don't like this. Maybe people will like. And then I, I'm like, no, 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 just shut it all. It doesn't. Nothing matters. Because like, you're kind of committing to it and sealing it off in a way. Like yeah, that's the only you, way it's done. Once you publish it or like put it out there, it's like, okay, I'm committing. Like these tracks are what I'm doing right now. Yeah, there's and not that's too like a big. It's a big well, deal. I, I imagine in music too, because it's so. I would imagine it's it's a lot more malleable as to like changes you want to make because it's yeah. so direct to make those changes where like with art, like with visual stuff, you're using the iconography and right. the kind of like language of visual history and all that is a little different in a way. And, right. and working through that, it's harder to just make these big changes. Whereas with like working on a computer and, and you know, it's digital, right? Yeah, we can we, just tweak things. So we can easily. tweak things. Uh, not everyone. I mean, I call it like the George Lucas, kind of thing you know where he just kept going back and fixing things that he thought were problems yeah we all didn't think it was problems <laughs> but he really or he wanted to you know i've always wanted to have this spaceship roll in the background but we didn't have the budget and now we you know now it's in the movie and i'm like dude like just leave it like yeah. uh, a lot of the stuff like uh I, I mean i i agree with like cleaning things up maybe it's like uh you know remastering yeah. old records and things like that that's like what he did with Star Wars was like go back and like kind of color grade things different, clean up the backgrounds, like the green screen stuff, or actually it was blue screen stuff. And uh, I, I like that part of him going back and working on that thing. Right. But then like all the additions and all these things that he just kept changing with each release. And, and that's when I go, man, it's easy to do that with music too. Honestly, it's like, I mean, it's up on iTunes, it's on Spotify, but it's not printed physically. So like, I've accidentally uploaded wrong mixes to like Spotify <laughs> and iTunes. Yeah. Where or I just like it's funny how my ears finally tune in on something when that, when something's out. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's up and I'm listening through it and I'm like, "Oh my god, I left like that or that hi-hat's just way too loud." It's like I'm just now finally hearing it. Yeah. And it's easy actually now to just email Spotify or anybody and just be like, "Hey, I just like to upload a new uh, mix here's my track oh, id you can do that yeah you can you don't even have to publish that fact you're just like oh, here's a new just, version i'm literally the day that my my new album came out i realized two songs later on the album called arps and uh sector six those are the more like the beat beat video game tunes yeah. i realized i had uploaded um the wrong version of arps that had like a way different kick drum <laughs> like a really bad kick drum it's just like one of those like flop like just not a good kick drum and uh and then sector six had like a lot of like weird this it's this is again a very digital problem it was like delay compensation issues with like plugins that i was using uh like sector six kept like it was really small but there would be skips in the beat where the beat would like rush all of a sudden 
and it was just like computer processing errors. <laughs> it was just like stuff that I'm like, what the hell? like, and then I finally figured out how to fix it. Like the day that the album, I like finally heard it, and I was like, what is that? And I opened my project, and I saw that I just didn't have the delay compensation button turned on, so everything was getting processed in this weird real time. Uh, and it was just glitching out. And so I quickly made new bounces. I went to ARPS and I was like, oh my God, made a new bounce, emailed every, everyone, and it got like fixed almost like, I think it was like the, like a couple hours later. Yeah. It's like I listened again on Spotify and I was like, oh, phew. Fixed. I was like, oh my God, that new That's picture sounds so bad. That's like sending the email accidentally to someone else. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's so easy now to so do So easy. Like if you think about recording on real, like that never, I mean, no. Nah, it, 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 I had conversations with Alan Holdsworth about this, and, and Alan uh, came from that age of tape, recording the tape. You can only do so many guitar solos before you're just out of tape and out yeah. of budget. You're like, nah, that's it. You've got to pick the best one. And uh, it's funny, like Alan past like the digital age of music, like 2003, 2002, he never was really able to come out with another album. And he always said it was just like, I mean, he could just, he would just sit there and do guitar solo after guitar solo, <laughs> delete it. Yeah, I can do things better. He'd finally think he would get it after six hours. Then the next day he would listen and go, no, nah, that's garbage. And he would delete it. He was oh. no- notorious for that. So like even uh, when he passed away a couple of years ago, everyone knew, I mean, he's been recording this new album for like a decade and it was, had all these different players on it. And they finally, everyone kind of got a little bit excited. Like just the fact that like, not not because he passed away, but it was just like this album. I was like, well, maybe the now we can hear it, hear it yeah, at least. Yeah. And of course, he deleted. And there's no guitar when they when they listened to the tracks. It was just rhythm tracks. He oh, took not dig that up off a hard drive or something. Yeah, you, know, you know what? What it ended up happening was that I, Alan told me this like uh, like two weeks before he passed. So like he was working um, mainly with 32 bit plugins or something like the Waves like some guitar simulate you know like he was using a lot of guitar amp simulation simulators on his computer and so just recording guitar direct with that and he accidentally upgraded his os or something (laughs) which then took all and he had a lot of hacked plugins which is crazy to me that he had hacked plugins but he had a lot of like waves cracked plugins and things and 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 when he went to that they were all broken all his settings were gone everything was gone so then he just deleted everything but then he never that was a two weeks before he passed away i remember he told me he's like i just deleted everything and because uh, it was just like raw guitar, you know, it's just guitar directly into his interface. And so he was like, I'm not keeping it. So he deleted everything. And then that's just ends up being now that's just all we have. Guitarless. Guitarless, like amazing. Like, I think the MIDI tracks are still there. Like the MIDI, like he had a MIDI controller guitar thing that he would plug into a sense and he would like late. It was like chords were still there, but no guitar solos, no guitar, no actual guitar. So that was kind of like, uh, that's the that's the status of that. I was like, man, all right, that's a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, you can endlessly. I mean, and know. that was that was his wormhole. Wormhole, like yeah. you said, that he got stuck in. And I I get like that too. And he was. I mean, honestly, he was. I never really heard anybody say out loud that they had that problem. And I realized I totally had that problem too. So it actually makes me check myself. And I set a time limit. I I try to do, like, if I if I do a really like if I track a really good solo or a good baseline. I'm just going to go, okay, that's it. I quit now. I quit for the day. I'm going to listen back to this tomorrow. <laughs> like I'm not going to just sit here and go, well, maybe I can do one more better. Cause then it's always the endless loop of doing yeah. one more better. 
It's like if you feel like you've got it, just you know, just sit with it. Give it some time. To Give it some time. Listen the next day. It's like, oh yeah, those those two sixteenth notes. I rushed those a little bit, but oh, whatever. You know, it's like next day. It's kind of like you don't really hear those things anymore. You're just yeah. kind of like, oh no, it sounds pretty cool. All right, it's like my my solo on um uh, special zone uh, that that the the Lewis Cole track. Uh, yeah. Uh, my bass solo on that was never supposed to be the final bass solo. That was just a solo that I just laid down to just because I was like, oh, this totally is a bass solo section. I'm just going to like start ripping, started ripping. And uh, uh, I think I just plugged my bass directly into my interface too. No like power amp, no, no nothing really. And I just plugged it straight in and just did it. And then I was like, shit, (laughs) I was like, that actually might be, that might actually be it. And then I remember recording the second part of it the next day and it was again. It was like cool. It was like in like three takes. I did it. I was like, oh, there it is. I was like, okay. But this section, it's like I actually used my power amp for the second section and like the first section. So then, what I thought about, I was like, well, how do I blend these two? Like they actually sound tonally a little bit different to me, mm-hmm. like because it's just uh, better tone versus like yeah, it's just directly injected interface tone. And so what I ended up doing was like, well, what if I just put a bit crusher on everything? <laughs> and then the quality doesn't even matter. That's actually my, my seat, my not even secret. That's not even a secret. It's just a trick to like, if I'm like recording a bass thing that it doesn't, it's like, you know, like I use a lot of back pickup and so there's buzz, yeah. right? It's like, you know, I'm sitting also right in front of my computer. So more, you know, more than likely there's like some sort of buzz going on. So what I end up doing is just putting bit crusher on just a mask everything it's right. like it just yeah, makes yeah. it sound like a computer gone going bonkers or something like so i uh try to blend that with the bass sound a little bit to just that takes my ear away from like the cleanliness right. thing it's like that kind of thing where if you walk into a room and there's just one piece of trash on the floor and you're like oh that, that. but if you walk into a place that's really messy you don't even notice it you're you like know, oh it's no, supposed to be this way exactly uh, yeah exactly it's just supposed to no this just this is how it is. just sounds like it it's yeah. like uh, and there's been a lot of like stuff like that on my previous albums where I've like listened back and I'm like, Oh man, that's, there's totally a lot of buzz going on. But sometimes it adds to like the vibe or the ambience. Yeah, you- if everything else is kind of dirty around it, you know, like drums and uh, everything's like processed and like kind of unclean anyway, it's like, yeah, then it kind of just doesn't matter. It's just part of the the thing. You don't want to turn into George Lucas. <sighs> that's the thing, man. I mean, that's George R. Banks, that track. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, I'm, I'm telling you, it's like sometimes I I listen back to my older stuff that's like pretty pretty long ago, and I'm like listening, and I'm like, I can do a better mix of this. I still have the project. Like, what if I just like you know slid it on Spotify real fast? Right. And, uh, but then I'm like, you know, no, it's part of the evolution ultimately of like what I like to. I mean, creating a catalog for, I mean, for everyone to enjoy, right? But it's also at, at the same time, deep down, it's a catalog that. Uh, it's like a timestamp of everything. And, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, like all these artists, you know, Coltrane you hear, uh, when he was in the bebop, then he went more into modal. It's like that, that trend. Like I would, I, I want to have an evolution. Yeah. That, uh, not everything could be pretty from the start. And a lot of music nowadays is organized right from the get go. It's like yeah. the brand is set and like, <laughs> it's like a formula that you just plug in. It's the music business part right it's like already that's like from an album like from an artist's first album you have a team right you have a manager and a booking agent and uh everyone's got access to your bank accounts and all these things it's just like it gets really overwhelming and kind of like like i've never really been like that i I think i've always wanted to kind of maybe just 
do make mistakes right. yeah <laughs> like if like have, uh have area to make mistakes make a record that maybe nobody will like yeah i don't know <laughs> i've done i feel like uh 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 i've done a lot of records that i've put out or not a lot of them but just like there's been a couple where i'm like i'm doing this for me i know probably most people aren't going to do this but these tracks either sit on my hard drive and nobody hears them or maybe just maybe it will do something for somebody out yeah. there and even if it's like 10 people it's like, then there we go. There's right. a, there's the music for those ten people. They like it. Maybe it'll it'll inspire them to ultimately do something better, like right. but with the same kind of colors, which is kind of like what. Uh, so like the electronic thing, going back to the past, right? Uh, two thousand nine, two thousand ten. It was the rise of this big electronic movement from LA and UK and uh, Flying Lotus and and uh, the the guys who were really influential to me were like Flying Lotus, um, Daedalus. Uh, Hudson Mohawk, Mike Slot, uh, they had a band actually called Heralds of Change that were just out of this world. It was really minimalist, but like the textures and sounds and the the vibe and the harmony, it was like a feeling totally from harmony. I was like, man, these guys get it. There's not even really melody, but it's just vibe from harmony and textures. I was like, wow, what a cool concept yeah. <laughs> that you can just not even have a melody and you can just get a vibe or the vibe was from the bass line, right? It was like the bass movement. Maybe that was also why I was so into it because it was like, oh, the bass is the thing that really, like, there's the verse and chorus. Oh, it's the bass that comes in that makes it feel full, and that's the chorus to me. That's when it feels... And then you take it away and just have all those textures swirl around, and it's still in the vibe. And it just made me kind of like... It just totally, like, opened up my head of, like, what to maybe experiment with. And, yeah, that whole thing of, like at, like doing everything before the bass yeah not just writing from the bass anymore and did that changed listen, the game did you listen to that new tonight record oh not yet that just came out like this week right or something really i've been huge fans of those dudes and i mean H- hudson mohawk is like that his first record called butter i used to listen to it like i think i just for a whole year that's all i listened to and i just got obsessed with his textures and the way he would cut up things and make melody out of harmony. I mean, it was like, it was like, there's always like a lead line in some of his textures and his bass lines. I mean, it's just it's so massively influential on me was, was his album butter. Honestly, it was like square pushers, hard, normal daddy. And then like butter by Hudson Mohawk. Yeah. And then like, uh, like, I don't know, like miles Davis electric, you know, it's like all these, it's How like about, combining um, all these things have, have always been kind of like the, it's what I've wanted to do. Right. You know? I thought of in listening to your music that you probably like the record Sextant. What is that? Sextant by uh, Herbie Hancock. I think. Wait, how old is that? What is that from the? 70s? It's from the era, the best Herbie era, which is like the seventies. Thrust. Oh, Thrust and Thrust. There's Sextant, and there was. Um, uh, What's the album cover look like for that? It's one? the the silhouette of the figures dancing with like the moon and a. Oh, I have her. Yeah, of course. Okay, but it's more electronicy. But the yeah. bass in it is really pockety. Right, and it's it's either probably Herbie playing like Moog yeah. bass, or yeah. it's or it's Paul Jackson right. also who is just can't lose. Can't lose. Sweat. I'm so I mean, funky. Thrust is one of the best records I think I, I, of I, all time. Of all time, that's still. I mean, like it's a, it's timeless. I mean, the the, the music is. I mean, you know, with most pop music, it goes through these like very, you know, like dubstep. Remember that whole thing? Yeah, <laughs> I, I love dubstep. I mean, it was like that. It was a thing, and that trap music kind of like or the that first Tonight record, right? It was like they were like kind of the dudes that 
really took trap more into like the pop realm. And now that's like what everything is influenced by. I feel right. like is like trap beats, you know, that whole halftime thing. Yeah. Dubstep wasn't quite able to like hold, like it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it was groovy, but it wasn't as groovy as trap, trap, like yeah. tempos, you know? And I think everything's around 140 when it comes to those kind of tempos. And, uh, but yeah, that, that, I really like stuff that's timeless. Right? Definitely. <laughs> I felt like the Tonight, uh, the first record was timeless. Like you could listen to it now and be like, wow. And then you realize it came out 2012 or whatever. And you're yeah. like, okay, that just started. That started every, uh, Flying Lotus's first record, 2006 or something like that. Unbelievable sounding. Like you, you, I think it was called 1983 or 84. I think it was 83. And it's unfortunately not available online anymore, but, uh, just listening the, through to that, I was like, oh, this sounds like it came out today. It's like any, yeah. I'm, I'm really into like artists that can totally do that. It just sounds like the future, but then also fast forward 10 years, you're like, wow, this still sounds like the future. Still fresh. Still super fresh. And do you like so, no such thing? Do you know? Jason? No, no. Mm-hmm. Well, but, he's from that um, oh. LA. Oh, is that, how do you spell that? Is it an O? Like Jason backwards. Ah, That's his name. No, yeah. Noisia thing or, or is it, yeah. I've, I think you pronounce it no such thing. No such like thing. A play oh, on yeah. word. oh man, I've never, see a lot of these, out, I've, ne- I've never said them out loud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I just see their words and I just, but I've never even, uh, like I, whenever I do like check out a show or anything, I don't really, they don't announce, you know, it's not like, Hey, we're, you know, like it's like a band, you know, like, thank you everyone. We're Incubus. Good night. And it's like, they don't really do that thing. Right. right. So then I never hear them say their own name. And then I just, I'm like, wow. Yeah. No, I love his music. Yeah. He, it's incredible. He performed at one of my openings in 2009. Oh, he played, he flew out from LA to play, the so opening, cool. which was really cool. Yeah. Cause I, I kind of, I don't know. I, I got into those guys from the ground floor, you know? Yeah, and I was like, going to say, this I is collaborated like... with um, with uh, Flying Lotus on one of my animation tracks. And this was before people knew who he was, really. You know, he wasn't What year that. was that? When, when, when... God, uh, 2009, I think? Yeah, I mean, this this is like, you know, everyone was just kind of like really... Yeah, it was just starting to happen. There was this big collaboration between art and, and music and then, the, you know, using visuals for... I mean, all these guys were like you know, going on tour with visualists and, yeah. and all these things. And I yeah, just, he does an amazing show too. Yeah. Like he's 4d like light thing. <laughs> right. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it's probably, it's, you know, it's the future. Yeah. You know, the future of, uh, of, of shows or at least of that realm, you know, like all, all those guys seem to do it in the early, well, like that's how they took their act on tour. Cause otherwise it's just the, them standing with yeah. their, with their, you know, laptops and stuff. And I remember Which, seeing yeah. Hudson Mohawk at Webster hall and actually, uh, it was, no, it was um, it was just Hudson Mohawk, and uh, he, I remember at one point, you know, I mean, he didn't even have, I don't, he just had lights, but he didn't really have visuals or anything. He was just playing his beats as loud as he could, which actually, like, I think, blew up the Webster sound system. <laughs> like the right speaker started smoking. It was pretty awesome. But ultimately, like, I remember uh, right before, you know, he like left stage. And he just had something still rolling, and everyone was just like cheering, and we're all trying to get him to do an encore or whatever. And I realized at one point I looked around, I just like, it's just a lone Apple logo on stage, right? It's just like the laptop sitting there. And we're all like, yeah. And it just looks like we're all cheering a laptop. Cheering emptiness. (laughs) Just emptiness. We're all like, come on, yeah, that was awesome. (laughs) It's just this Mac laptop sitting there. We're like, yeah. It's just like, wait a minute. That's when I I looked around and I went, oh man, I'm the oldest guy here. (laughs) Literally, I was like, not, I mean, I was like, what, 29 or 30 or something. There's a lot of young people at the show. Yeah. It was like an 18 and up show. And, uh, it was, or maybe it was 21 and up, but it was, everyone was like 21. Right. 
and I realized I was like, oh, wow. I'm like, I'm the guy who probably knows other parts of his catalog that these people, they only know him for tonight, probably, and, yeah. or the Kanye stuff and right. everything like that. And uh, I'm the guy, I'm like, play some butter tracks. <laughs> Come on, man, please. <laughs> I think my first experience like that was uh, Nobukazu Takamura. I saw oh, him. man, awesome. I saw yeah. him play with a laptop <laughs> really? at, um, I think it was Mercury Lounge. Wow. This is a long time ago. Now, and it, playing with a laptop, were there, were there any lights or... Nothing. No, nothing, no, this right? was the days of... This was before right. people right. did that. Right. And it was like kind of baffling, but really intriguing. Right. Know? Like, I think at, shortly after that, I saw Oval play right. and at the Knitting Factory, and he just... Did, speaking of destroying sound systems, I mean, his... He blew it up. He had that... <laughs> He make he was in a stage of making his own processors, which would generate the music. Oh, like so he had cool. these cube things that he made that were insane. But what? the noise, it was like one of the first shows I've I ever saw was when I was a kid. I saw my bloody Valentine play, and it was so <laughs> nice. loud that I almost got nauseous. Like <laughs> it made me feel sick. I had to move out of the auditorium. I, I've been to shows like that, yeah, where you have to just kind of like move away. You have to get away. You yeah. have to get away from it, and you're just like, oh my it was, god, the, the sound was violating me. <laughs> It was all in me. So I had all to get high out. mids. So that was a really loud experience. But then the overall thing was even because he was hitting frequencies with that stuff that, you know, just you, like it was not really possible from instruments. Like, you know, like bass guitar has, you know, or even kick drum. Like we can all kind of get those subs to move. But man, like, you know, this was another level. This is like, it's a whole other thing. You yeah, know? Like it was like, it was tickling a part of my brain that I never knew existed, <laughs> you know? But it was funny because back then it was such a novelty to see someone on a laptop playing. That right. Like, oh, this is cool. Right. But then it very quickly became like, all right, this is super boring. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, uh, and like people had to figure out, okay, if I'm going to do this, there's going to be something else. What, what else do I do? Right? Yeah, performance part, right? Yeah. I, I think uh, once these people, once it became, like people kind of probably started coming in and going, well, and like producing the the thing, or like the label maybe would come in and go, you know what, we're going to get bring in a team, maybe that, you know, what, what you really need is blah, 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 or whatever, yeah. you know. And uh, I think there's old square pusher videos of him just what kind of set him apart. I mean, he'd do the same thing, right? He just like shows up, no lights or anything. Like this is like right after Hard Normal Daddy came yeah. out. There's a live at the Liquid Room from '97, and uh, Square Pusher's just he's just he's just ripping on bass. Yeah. Like he just hits play from like his tape deck, and it's just all the tracks just like just on it's just a stereo bounce yeah and he just plays on top of it <laughs> and he's just ripping but he's such a showman he's just like flying around he's probably on I, I don't know if he's on stuff he probably is on a lot of stuff and he's just ripping on fretless bass and that's almost like the show that's almost the interactive that you just watch that because right. he's still playing an instrument and and i was kind of my takeaway from from that was like oh okay you can do like he was the first guy i was like well you could do that you could just hit play <laughs> and as long as you're playing an instrument in front of people maybe that's that will hit a certain vibe and you'll, and people want to just, especially when you're good at that instrument, yeah. I think too, that's like, that's like, that's all, that's, a, that's gotta be kind of there. I think, uh, there's gotta be the interactiveness and, and I mean, what he was doing was like Jocko, but like times, times two with like some of the slap. I mean, he would really hit his bass and like do all these slides with his palms down the fretboard and just make it this, to- and, and running it through his reverbs again. He had this really cool lexicon reverb that he would plug his bass into and, uh, I know there's a guitar player here in New York who also brings his own, his name is Ben Monder, an amazing uh, guitar player. 
who, who lives here in New York. And Ben brings his own like lexicon reverb unit like to, to every, like I, I did a session with him last year and uh, he showed up and he brought his lexicon reverb out of the, and I was like, wow. And he likes to laugh at it. Cause it's just, you know, it's a big box that just only does reverb. You yeah. know, I'm like, there's pedal, you know, pedals that are like micro size for that, right. but there's something, there's a vibe to this old lexicon reverb. And I, I remember, I think it's the same one that square pusher had. And I was like, man, I got to get that. But ultimately I think I would probably get it and then I'd go cool. And then I'd record with it and I go, ah, all right. Yeah. That's it. And then I'm, I don't need to lug that around there. I, I, I probably have a plugin that could just at least get me 90%. Most plugins get you 90% there. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're just, they don't, I mean, my room is so, my studio is really small. So it's like I, the less gear, I, I'm, I'm mainly digital, mainly plugin based. I used to have a Fender Rhodes. I used to have like an ARP uh, synth that I made a lot of music with and uh, released it all in, uh, with those synths. But um, it, it just, took up so much space and i'm not really a keyboard player so i'd like sit there and like do take after take of like just being like man i could just program this in midi and, yeah. and be done with be it over with it right. but Rhodes doesn't have a midi input so yeah <laughs> i'd sit there and just have to like i was I, or i'd just do pads with it and i'm like man this thing i can just there's a really good Rhodes plugin <laughs> like, <laughs> like i could just get that and yeah i ended up letting go of all my sense even my i had an sp 1200 which is like the a lot of guys like uh, uh, Bibio uses one yeah. for. I mean, I, all the hit, like anybody who's like, um, you know, Mad Lib and Jay Dilly used to make their beats on an MPC and like this old SP twelve hundred. It just had like this grit, this kind of lo fi quality thing. That's what I made artifacts with. Was like sampling acoustic guitar into it, and then just like pitching it really far up. So it's like bam, 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 and just like programming that stab around and programming a couple more acoustic guitar chords in so everything's like like that kind of getting close to that butter thing from yeah, hudson mohawk yeah. that chopped sample pitched up really high kind of thing uh so that and that's when i kind of started realizing it's kind of cool to make instruments not sound like their instruments it's like that whole sound design thing i started right. getting really into like sound design and like processing uh uh acoustic guitar and it's like just even taking out a big acoustic guitar chord going bling and then just reversing that is such a cool sound right because you get yeah. that granular like the pullback the pullback of like it's just such a cool texture and it's actually like with cymbals and with like a lot of things or like even um reverb doing like reverse reverbs and stuff it's like kind of a cheap not a, maybe it's not a cheap way but it's a kind of a cool way to uh keep momentum in a track going and i do that a, a lot of the time where it's like with um uh, tracks going and then i'll i'll send literally every track into a reverb maybe except for the drums and then every once in a while I'll just go and just bloom it out towards like an end of a section or something yeah so that it goes and, and then it, and then turn, quickly turn it down at the top of the next section so it just kind of goes and then it just sucks yeah. you get that rush of energy of oh. <laughs> yeah. it's like a, ro- like a roller coaster that actually doesn't take off you right. just go oh, and it just sucks you into the next section of a song or something like that and I've that's like a trick that I probably just could have looked up on YouTube <laughs> you know what I mean like five years ago even right. and, and it's like producer trick number 62 try reverse reverb swell and, and, <laughs> and right but then it's like something that I just realized like two years ago organically I'm just kind of like sitting there going oh you know what I could do this I've actually been not a big fan of reverb and stuff like for like years and I've never really put reverb stuff I always like use the room sound like on drums and stuff like that but just like the past like two years I'm like 
opening up reverbs and like really trying to mess around and figure out like uh well figure them out because they really do change the, the the dimension of everything especially with like electronics and yeah. so everything's not so just digital processed in my face kind of uh, it puts things farther back and, yeah. and in, in the in the mix it's like that three-dimensional thing but not really you know definitely speaking of bibio I mean, he uses reverb too yeah a great effect great i mean the you way feel he, like you're 1968 man. walking through a you know flower field and <laughs> the country yeah. he, his music is just the it's just it is the country to me it's like i know that he kind of lives in the middle of nowhere uh, and that's just what he's around all the time i think he's just really into nature and and just now his music totally reflects that and i yeah. think that's just what a what a what it, I mean, and that his voice has evolved over time too. If you listen to older records, he used to mask it a little bit more. Yeah. I think he got more comfortable. I mean, I'm just like speaking just on from, his behalf. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, just on his behalf. Like, <laughs> what I think. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm like a music. Oh god, like a music critic now. No, it's like a, a huge. I'm, I've been a huge fan of him for you know yeah. all the Warp Records guys really uh, for for forever and. Going, I remember Bibio's first album was just the lo-fi guitar stuff, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Wow, that's cool." And then when he, uh, Ambivalence Avenue came out, Great and it was record. like awesome, right? I mean, Such that's a good when, combination of the two. I realized that he was like, I was like, "Wow, this dude's an actual." Oh, he's a really good guitar player. He's like yeah. doing alternate, like Joni Mitchell style tunings, and like he puts them up on YouTube too. Like there's <laughs> channels saw. of him playing it. With like an old ribbon mic. I mean, it's yeah. like this dude knows gear, and he like, I mean, he just is. He's always seemed like somebody that I really want to know, like really want to meet. But I'm also like super, like it's kind of like Square Pusher. Like I don't think I'll ever really want to meet these guys. Oh, don't meet your heroes. I know that's yeah. that's the thing. I I think it's uh, from. I think it's just kind of like it keeps things. I I like to be a fan. Right. You know what I mean? It's like when I meet the people or have the opportunity to meet them, I usually stay away. Um, it's also based in my shyness too, but. Uh, Oh, it's 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 like anytime I see celebrities on the street here in New York or anything, I'm always like, oh, I shouldn't bother them. Yeah, I, I'm always saying that. Like, I never, yeah, I never walk. <laughs> my, Although my, I did meet Elvin Jones at the Blue Note, and he did not disappoint. There we and go. He was on a respirator. This oh was shortly was this, before, oh, before really? he passed. Yeah. Oh my god. He was still playing, playing with though. An oxygen tank. <sighs> man. And still like beating what a the baller. Shit out of those drums, man. <laughs> what a baller. He's amazing. That's that's just. <laughs> Just literally, that's how like that's how I feel like every musician. We just literally need to play until, like like we just can't like you like we die out, yeah. like we just come like we just we still need to share our, our gift. We still need to inspire. We still need to. That's a, it's that's what keeps us going. Even if even if we're like you know physically not well. Yeah, it feeds yourself. You know, it's, it feeds it feeds it feeds the soul. Right? Did you uh, did you read that book, Possibilities? The Herbie, uh, Herbie Hancock's no, I didn't. I read the Wayne Shorter one, which was called Footprints, but I had never read Herbie's, which uh, Herbie and Wayne, you know, had a lot of, uh, there's a lot about Herbie in the Wayne Shorter book, too. I'm so sure. I, yeah. So I got a kind of a dual perspective on that. Oh, but it's from himself, like the story this is from, tells. It's Herbie's book. It's yeah. Herbie's book. Ah. It's, you got to read it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll my son bought it, it for me. I think I read it in like 48 well, that's hours. that's sweet of him. Yeah. It was really good. He's like, Dad will like this. <laughs> He's like, I want to get that book. So if I buy him that one. Well, that's like, what are you going to get that Yeah, one? exactly. I was, I was thinking, it's like, oh, man, this is a good way to like, now you owe me. <laughs> it's funny that all circles around, too, because I was in a band that we would play like Latin jazz stuff, but it wasn't oh, cool. a okay. real Latin jazz band. 
but we played Footprints huh, nice. and uh, like the Latin version of it. Yeah. And we had a Fender Rhodes. And when we would play gigs, we didn't travel far with that band, but we would come. This was when we were in Connecticut. We would come down to New Are York. Are you from City. Connecticut? Or no, I went to graduate school. Oh, okay. And, but Thanks. we would come down and uh, lugging that Rhodes. God damn it. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> that thing. What it's like a coffin. So did it have? <laughs> yeah, there's like two people in it. It's uh, did you did you did it just was it a Mark One just with the top or did it have the suitcase like you know part two? It had below? the suitcase thing. Oh man, yeah, that's the legs <laughs> that would yeah, it was just a nightmare. I, it, but yeah. nothing sounded like it. it yeah, sounds that's the so thing. good. There's nothing like a suitcase roads. I mean, there's just there's nothing that with the trim yeah. uh, like the tremolo the on whole it. Bit. And, oh man, that's like. There's it's butter. A, it's, it's like butter. I mean, D'Angelo. That's what I think of yeah. when I hear that. You know? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Just like that. It's as smooth. Think, that tone. And then like, uh, there's the, the early Roots records were a lot of roads. Yep. And I remember uh, that was like my, in high school, I wasn't really into hip hop. Because mainly hip hop was like what I would see on MTV or anything. It was like Nelly and like yeah. 50 Cent. And like, that was like the pop thing that was going on. I wasn't really hip to hip hop. But I, I got... I have a friend burned me a root CD, you know, and I listened to that. And I went, Whoa, I can get into this. Yeah. It was, it was like really organic play. I mean, it was just organic players. And then black thought just had such an awesome vibe and voice. And then that kind of led me to MF doom and more of like the, this other realm Alt. of hip common, yeah. you know, and like this other realm that kind of seemed, under, I think underground at the time, it was probably, probably pretty popular, but now uh, did, did, did that extend the far side? Or were they too? That was right. See, Dilla, I didn't get hip to him until I was at Berkeley. Yeah, because I heard Robert Glasper experiment, and then I everyone's talking about Chris Dave, and I was checking out his drumming, and then everyone was like, you know, where he gets all his all his stuff from, which is totally not true, but it's like he 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 did he did uh, massively get influenced by Jay Dilla's stuff, yeah. and so everyone was passing me J- Dilla beats, and I was like, whoa, like that's the first time I ever heard that heavy swing, and like kind of things that aren't like totally together but are together it's like that broken broken beat maybe kind of stuff yeah. and not what as a, what a deluge too yeah there's like a library there yeah <laughs> and well, that's when i realized like i never even knew that dilla produced for other artists i had um, no idea I, I didn't know that a lot of the common stuff that i was listening to was like dilla yeah. it was i started going and kind of going back again and like kind of going oh my god he did this and this was influenced by or like he influenced like, I mean, he had a hand in, like, all these records, and then that's how I found out about The Far Side and, right. and, and like, a lot of these uh, kind of classic records that I just kind of, like, just didn't, you know, again, all my friends are like, oh, man, you haven't heard this? Oh, I but I like the, being that guy. It's yeah. like, I'm like, oh, I have no idea. And then, you know, you find out through talking to people. <laughs> right. I imagine at Berkeley that's, like... Oh, that's an all. epidemic that's the thing. where it's like, how do you not know blah, blah, blah? Like, it was a thing, yeah. It was for sure, like, it was, like... Yeah, we all tried to like. I mean, it's it, it's we're kids at the same time, so it's not really like doesn't feel the same way. Right. It was like you know, like now it's like a little condescending. <laughs> like if somebody's like, "Oh, really? You, you uh, don't?" Know. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's, but it's like when you're kids, it's like, "Oh, really? You don't know, man? No, check this out. It comes yeah. from a real like. I mean, I guess it still comes from that place as an adult of excitement and everything. But it's uh, you know when you're, you're in your kids, it's just like, oh man. But there's a lot of that. It's yeah. like literally. Uh, file sharing was still like running rampant and Berkeley's network. We got around 
the network by using this program called Sanuti. It was called I, it was iTunes backwards. Do you remember that yeah. program at all? Yeah. yeah, it's like Sanuti, and it, we had access to anybody who, in the dorms. We could just rip everything from everyone's music library. So all of a sudden, I went from like having couple classic records that I came into school with and all of a sudden it was like overload and like two weeks I just kept downloading everything Kurt Rosenwinkel I got obsessed with and then like uh even like Dave Matthews band it was just like everything and anything I just started ripping music all just music man and that's really all you you know you're just at school anyway so like didn't have anything to do I would just like listen to stuff just sit there (laughs) You know, I didn't even know what to look up on the internet. I mean, there's the internet's still kind of like a thing that you just go on MySpace, right? And that was the time waster right, of the time. Yeah. Now there's so many time wasters. But <laughs> it was like, I either go on MySpace or I just sit there and just listen to music. And I, I remember I just used to just sit. And like also, I used to take the bus from Boston to New York all the time and like every weekend. And to, because I had a friend that moved down here uh, when I moved to Boston, we kind of like split ways and he went to New York. I went to Boston. So, I would every weekend go down here to try play gigs with them and, and things like that. And that's a long bus ride, you know, yeah, it's just a lot like, of headphones, a lot of headphones, just sitting there listening to like two records the whole trip, just like really diving in and just trying to hear things that I never really had that great of headphones now. So it's kind of funny listening to the same records years later and going, Oh yeah, I never even never heard, never heard that before. <laughs> never heard that. Cause I had like these really, really bad, like, you know, the old Apple earbuds. Oh Yeah. A little like the, tinny. Oh, so like no, no, no bottom bass, end. You know, it was just and my, my ears are. How could you? <laughs> you <know? laughs> well, you know what's funny is like I still like in my home studio. I have a, a nice pair of Sennheisers that I like to check everything on, and they're kind of like more mastering headphones, uh, if anything. But, so they're very flat uh, and open backed and everything. But like whenever I'm like out and about, I just have this like these re- like whatever the Amazon Choice <laughs> Bluetooth really like headphones. Yeah. I because I, I, I like to check my mixes on stuff that maybe a lot of people have. And I saw it had like 30,000 reviews and I was like, well, 30,000 people have these really cheap headphones. Let me see how my music sounds on them. And I'd listen oh, to it. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. I'd check out other people's music and I go like, a, you know, like flying Lotus or whoever I'd listen to their music and I go, Hmm. Yeah. So the, even their music doesn't have a lot of bass in these headphones. So then I should match mine to like this. So I got kind of used to the like sound of them so that I could mix. I, I knew what was lacking or what yeah. was like, way too loud and that's smart <laughs> yeah because most people i'm sure with like you know like the whole adage of going into your car to listen to something because it's got the best surround i mean you, it does right you're but in it, a little environment and it sounds so good you know? i didn't have a car until well, my, my my wife has a car but my i didn't get a car until last year and now i'm starting to realize that on long trips like i was listening to like that's how i mixed volume three was like in in a car like yeah. at home i it was cool but then, yeah, like listening to it in the car, I was like, oh man, I could make that like kick drum thump a little. It's like, cause I have a, I don't have a sub in my studio cause it's just, otherwise I'd really piss off the new neighbors downstairs. Say, you'd get kicked <laughs> yeah. out. Cause it's like all, I mean, I would be just cranking bass all the time if I had a subwoofer. Like I would just, uh, it would be not a good, so that's another reason why I'm just kind of like, oh man, I gotta like find a new studio, find yeah. a new place for to actually grow and build what i have in mind for like the next decade soundproof that thing soundproof it and like just build i would have to probably own something you know own the space to get to get truly comfortable with building something i think but that's my plan for the next decade is to like really go for this like an actual studio (laughs) like really build like a real studio that i can like work like 
and just build up you know what i mean yeah. it's like acquire the gear over the next decade instead of having to go oh i've ran out of room what do i what should i sell right <laughs> it's like no well, so you just recorded this new record fairly or you released it released it yeah I mean, fairly recently how are you starting on new stuff are you always oh, working yeah. on stuff and yeah just constantly. how do you time it like when can people expect the next thing i think right now the, the timetable i said deadlines right it's like so like uh uh i booked the studio so the next record that i'm doing is with dana mm-hmm. uh, so it'll be a or an evan and dana thing uh which is a duo project that i have with this drummer and then we play live with a laptop kind of thing and uh easy to tour with because it's just two of us two of us but yeah. so like i booked the studio dates before i even had the music <laughs> i booked the studio uh we're recording it in a couple weeks like two weeks from now and i booked it back in september and so I was like, well, there's my end point. I got to have music for it. Yeah. <laughs> so then I just started working on it right away, probably like in September. I'd already had a couple old ideas, but I just, I needed to like go through, see what was worth like still working on and saving yeah. uh, vibe wise, you know, and see what was inspiring uh, to like work on. There's other, tr- I mean, there, there's, I'm just always like writing and fiddling with stuff and saving it, putting it in a folder and just kind of like archiving stuff and so i have to take a whole day to kind of sit and like listen down to things and be like well this is a really cool just loop uh needs a b section so then i write that i'm really into writing things down so i like uh i have this app on my phone called things Mm -hmm. and i use things to like write down notes for myself and organize it into a shelf that's just called like evan and dana volume three you know those are my notes that i need to get done so um we're recording all the music's basically done form wise I think the production thing will probably happen later. So we'll record it in a couple of weeks, and then my plan is to come out with a new single before we tour next year, which is uh, right now we have a tour, a U.S. tour booked in May. Nice. So how, how many cities, like how long will you be out? I think it's just like 11 days or 12 days or something. It's almost two weeks. And it starts, it's, starts in Dallas, and we are, it's mainly the south, southwest like hitting Los Angeles and San Francisco and then going up to Portland and Seattle. So it's like more of a West Coast South tour. And I'm sure we'll do like a New York show at some point. Yeah. Uh, That's manageable. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> just enough for me to like wrap my head around right now as I'm trying to like, I, I got a booking agent this year, which was like kind of like the, the big, uh, big help, you yeah. know? So they're, they're just doing it all. One less me. thing. Well, actually probably like a thousand less things to worry about. It literally was. Cause I, I organ, I, we went on tour with animals as leaders back in May and that was like a week we were on the, ro- uh, on the road with them and I was doing everything. Yeah. And, and that was, it's a lot of stuff to like organize and, and prepare and negotiate. And I was just like, man, all right. Like the booking. Yeah. It's, 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 a, lot. A, it's a lot. It's, it's a lifesaver for sure. So I'm, I'm slowly starting to like, see uh you know build a team right like slowly like but just naturally i'm not like trying to go out of my way to find anybody or even when people approach me i'm always like "Mm," you know like oh i'd love to wear i'm like yeah you know you know i really just i'm oh i'm pretty always like hesitant and cautious you know uh because i think this business uh i think you have to be you have to protect yourself in a way um from bad decisions and so like uh, this booking agent actually found through a friend and we i'd worked with uh him on the animals as leaders tour too he was managing one of these so it just kind of felt natural like finding that thing and uh so he they're they're handling that for for may and my goal is to put out a single before that i think the record will probably come later in the year but i'm just going to work really hard on just making one song sounds sounding really great yeah (laughs) 
and then um and then worry about the record later in the year maybe with like another tour i think everything kind of has to have its purpose uh from watching other people do it right it's like when you have a new album you tour on it right it makes sense (laughs) to push push the the record and uh, so I'm trying to like line everything up, you know, everything has to have a timetable and deadlines basically. So I have to have a new song out by, by May for sure. You know, nothing motivates like a deadline. There's just not, you know, <laughs> especially a self-imposed, like self-inflicted right. deadline. You're yeah. like, you already have stuff booked and you're like, Oh my God. Like no I just did blame. this. Like, like, no, <laughs> I called this shot. <laughs> I just did this to myself. <laughs> so that's, that's the plan right now. It's like moving forward with, uh, me and Dana's thing that's always been like the touring thing for the most part anyway is like uh that project because yeah. it's just uh and it went i mean the it was, we we toured with animals as leaders back in may and i was you know we were playing to huge crowds of mainly i didn't really know their audience that well i knew it was kind of progressive metal like uh fusion people maybe yeah. but i was like man i really don't know how they're gonna like <laughs> i didn't i wasn't worried about it that was like the last thing that i was gonna worry about because i had you know there's all there's so many other things to worry about when you're like figuring out logistics so it's like the last thing that i was worried about is whether people are gonna like it but it was always in the back of my head i was like i don't know how this crowd's gonna like our music and yeah. they loved it I, I, I was i was so I was so happy that I was really, truly relieved because it was a worry that was just in the back of my head. I was just like, it's like, man, we could get booed. And yeah. that, that would just, I'm, I'm already a sensitive person anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one likes being booed. Nobody, nobody likes, there's that office joke of like, uh, I think Michael, is, it's like, how would you like it if I booed you? Because he boos somebody at a play, I think uh, one, one of the later episodes in like season eight or something. And, He's like, how would you like it if I booed you? He's like, well, I wouldn't care. And he goes, boo. And he's like, no, and he's like, boo. And then you can see it like bothers him a little bit. I'm like, yeah, because nobody likes being booed. Right. Feels bad. But that's good. They liked it. And then you've, they loved it. it. It's a new audience in it's a way, a too. New, new audience that, uh, that they've just, I liked hearing that excitement. They're like, we, I've never heard of you. <laughs> and I'm like, right. good. And, like, and they're like, I was blown away. Like, this is great. That's like that feeling of capturing true fans, maybe in a way, like yeah. blowing them. They're not just hearing, they're not just watching a YouTube video and going, cool, I'm a fan, right? It's like, th- this is like the, the real, like you played a show in front of people. They saw you do something. And that's, that's when I'm like, oh man, this touring thing, right? Playing music in front of people. You connect. <laughs> if you connect with it, oh, that's an important thing. It it's really like, is. Because now we could just live online. I mean, that's what I've been doing for, for forever is just kind of releasing my own music as almost like a hobby, almost to just, yeah. to just being a bass player for other people. And now it's kind of evolved and taken over where it's just a slow course of so like a decade later after releasing, you know, album and just things for just i don't know just things right albums and music and then finally like now it's like people want to see it live so i kind of want to i want to do my best and try to try to take it to those people yeah you know sounds great there's guys like bibio who never play live who's who's, who have said i will never i won't tour i don't like to do that thing and uh, I think he did a DJ set like in Japan like last week or something like that. And I got all excited because I was like, "Man, oh he's alive!" God. Yeah, he's a, he's a real person. He's yeah, like board, boards of Canada. They might not even exist. I, that's what I, I mean. It that's what's kind fake. of fun, right? Yeah, it's <laughs> like it's like the myth. If of, you like, can pull that off, though, these days, that's, <laughs> that's like a special thing, right? thing. 
It's like, I remember everyone was like, when Aphex stopped releasing music, I heard a lot of like, oh yeah, he died actually. Oh, there's, oh, this new record's not even, it's not even Richard James. You know, he passed on. I'm like, like just rumors. It's Tupac. Yeah, I'm like, it's Tupac. (laughs) Dude, he's back, man. He's making incredible, (laughs) like, incredible electronic music. But yeah, there's, you know, that's the kind of mysterious thing. Like, even Square Pusher's shrouded and like Tom, you know, he's just... I don't know. Nobody really knows. And so I always get excited when I hear somebody who like has met him yeah. and like, Oh yeah, I had a couple points with him. I'm like, Oh my God, really? Like he exists. <laughs> he drinks beer. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. A lot of it. Yeah. It's like, Oh yeah. A lot of it. I'm like, Oh wow. Like it just blows my mind that it's really that like people magazine thing. Like that they have that article that's like, they're just like us. And then they just show like celebrities walking out of Starbucks, <laughs> like, candid shots of people going, ah. Just like always looking like, yeah, they're just trying to, they're just doing stuff. <laughs> they put these photos in the magazine. I'm like, oh, why, why do it to them? Like, why? <laughs> You're ruining the mystique. They're just like us. And I'm like, well, yeah, because they're just people. Like, we're just all people. But some of these artists really do seem like bigger. I mean, that's the whole thing, right? It's like they seem bigger and, and almost not real. Yeah, larger and, than life. Larger than life. And if they'd ever play shows, it's like, well, do they exist? I mean, who even knows? Like, yeah. if that's yeah like yeah boards of canada was one of those bands that every time they came out with a new well they came out with that album a couple was it tomorrow's harvest like back in 2014 that was Mm -hmm. a big deal because it was like a decade of no music or just like nothing and then all of a sudden it was like time in between a lot of time and i i've looked i've tried to look up information on them online and it's like yeah there's nothing really much they say it's like a like a farmhouse that they record in or i'm just kind of like oh wow (laughs) like farmhouse full of gear like oh that's the dream right it's like romantic so when i go on zillow and like look at houses in connecticut i'm like oh does it have a barn in the back maybe i I can convert the barn for my (laughs) like jackson pollock in the barn studio in long (laughs) island that's what you need that's what i need man that's what i'm talking about it's like i need just like a big open space that i can actually soundproof (laughs) and make feel small (laughs) with neighbors at a far distance very far distance other unless they really like fusion bass licks coming out of there (laughs) i your shirt reminded me of that video that um the live session that lewis cole did in the house oh man oh yeah and then at the end it's like special thanks and there's a few and then it says my neighbors (laughs) yeah my neighbors and it's like mom (laughs) mom for snacks can you imagine a big band in the living room how loud that (laughs) would be (laughs) it's pretty good stuff Lewis, I've known since like uh, like you know, it's just we met through YouTube stuff, right? It's like yeah. just like he's been on uploading videos around the same time. I would so we've always kind of kept in touch just through online stuff, and then uh, uh, we've opened for me and Dana have opened for his band Knower before yeah. when I've come through New York, and uh, me and Lewis have always just kind of been. Yeah, he's in Los Angeles, I'm in New York, so we've always kind of just kept in touch. I've tried to go to his shows when he's when he comes through, and uh, I remember like a couple years ago, I just asked him. I was like, man, I'd really like, uh, can you record drums from home? Like, it would be awesome to like, have you do some stuff. And he was like, yeah, you know, I got, well, to be honest, you know, I don't really have that great of an interface. I only have one microphone. I was like, that's how you record all your stuff. He's like, (laughs) yeah. I was like, it's no wonder to a broom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And now whenever I watch those videos, I'm always like, oh yeah, I know Lewis is like, it's, it's like low fi, but he knows, I mean, it's really just all where you place the microphone and yeah. compression, you know, and, and things like that. And I, th- I think he's just got this like lo-fi thing down. Like when he sent me the drums, he was like, "Oh yeah, if you just compress them, it will sound okay." 
And I was like, okay. And I, I did it because at first I like previewed it and I was like, oh, oh yeah, this sounds like one microphone right. in front of a drum set. Because <laughs> uh, he only had, he has two inputs on his interface. That's what he was telling me. This is like a couple of years ago. This is like 2000. He sent me those drums actually. This song, that song's been uh, just kind of like in the works for like years basically. Yeah. It's been just kind of like taking different forms. It's always had Lewis playing house beats on it and just been kind of trying to figure out stuff so sometimes a song takes years for me to like just develop and just resemble a song or something but yeah lewis sent me and i compressed them and i just was like huh and then uh, a couple ideas i had later on was like well you know the kick drum what if i just layered uh like a kick drum without the attack underneath his kick drum so it gives a a subby you know you get the woof of a kick drum without the because that's already coming from him hitting the kick drum and it's like i started kind of teaching myself how to blend electronic sounds with real drum sounds like layering a clap every time he like played the snare drum and things like that which i think he actually does with nowhere a lot of the time so it's like i'm starting to like kind of figure out like sense right yeah it's like i'm like learning his production style just from like trying to mess around with his drums at, at home and uh, and yeah, he's just a phenomenal, I mean, he's just, he's on, on, he's on, unreal. No human should be that good at that many different instruments. He's, he's really like, it's the same with this other guy, Nate Wood. Yeah. He's yeah. also just another brilliant, just, these guys are just brilliant at everything and they're drummers mainly. I, I think they're drummers mainly. I mean, Nate's like, well, I can't even tell anymore if like, I mean, it always seems like they're drummers first, but then, I mean, these guys are just now beyond they're just music you know yeah. they're just, they're just so good at everything and uh yeah i mean it's like a, there's a, this other drummer that's been really cool jd beck mm-hmm. who's like this another like he's like 16 years old or something like that plays with like the same kind of style as lewis but it's a little bit uh more breakbeaty like square pusher kind of like bass yeah and it's just and like he layers a lot of cymbals on top of the snare drum he's like really in the textures and sounds like making drums not really sound like uh standard like a, kit it's a standard kit you know standard tuning or anything i really like that stuff yeah it's cool yeah. it's i've been tweaking it you know <laughs> yeah and to be that good at it is kind of a nice i think perk. that's what takes it to like the next because then you can really be like well if i hit it you're not just hitting it to hit it. You're like really listening to like where exactly you should hit it from for like the best smack of like yeah. a lot of those guys put a splash symbol on their snare drum. And it's like, if you hit the bell of it, like on the, on the angle, you get the actual like doom, like a resonant thing. Yeah. But if you smack just the edge of it, that's when you get the nice metal on snare drum kind of sound. Right. So I've watched Nate Wood do that too. Sometimes he'll like alternate that. Like he's in direct control of that with his left hand. So he'll like play up on the bell and it'll slide back down to just like smacking the, the rim of the symbol on the snare. And I'm like, man, that's control. You're not yeah. just hitting it to hit. It's like, you know, exactly you're listening for like, that's like on bass too or guitar. It's like, you know, the different ranges of textures that you can get by just sliding your, your right hand up to the front pickup. Right. It's a little yeah. bit softer of an attack. If you want a tighter, it's like when, you know, the string looser being, uh, tighter it's like you want a tighter sound played closer to the bridge and uh, that's how you'll get like more of that schofield kind of vibe is like yeah. closer to the bridge you know and then like rosenwinkler somebody like that maybe it's like more front pickup i don't know it's like these these like things Little that i tweaks right? I, I, I just love it because yeah. i i go you know i see now it's like all, it's all on youtube i'm just like watching videos of these guys and i could just be like oh. <laughs> that's how they do it. that's how they do yeah. it like <laughs> oh, oh. but yeah i don't know so, well, new, you're going to have that new record coming out. Yeah. And then uh, touring, and that's going to happen. So where else, yeah. I, other than, I guess, 
is the best place for people to get your music is like Spotify and Spotify streaming, which I know doesn't. Yeah. Well, no, there's I, issues I, with it, right? I I I'm, I totally embrace it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I've never known anything else. Right. It's the only way that I've ever been able to get my music out is just through online. I mean, I'm happy to just even give it away. Yeah. But at, at a certain point, I probably I'm old now. So <laughs> it's like in my 20s, I was like, yeah, I'll just give out my albums. You know, I'll just put them up online and uh, you know make them available on iTunes if anybody, anybody wants to buy them and stuff. But then at a certain point, I was just like, you know, you get older and you're like, oh, I should probably like start figuring out how to make money with this. to be able to sustain. <laughs> be able to sustain. Yeah, it's yeah. like I got a you know uh, I got a wife now, and she's like, oh, so you're just uploading this for free, huh? <laughs> She's like, you probably shouldn't do that. I'm like, oh yeah, I probably shouldn't do that. But <laughs> you're, you're worth more than that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and well, I've had fans like send me messages like that. I uploaded the album to YouTube, and I just wanted to make it a full thing. I was actually copying what Lewis did to his recent album. He just like uploaded the whole album as one track on YouTube, and I got a lot of comments being like, oh Evan, you shouldn't upload this for free, and I'd happily pay for it. And I'm like, well, I mean, it's available. Like you I can never still pay for it. You can still pay for it. <laughs> It's just you know, it's just up for for free. I mean, or it's like you can just stream stream the whole thing. It's on Spotify. It's on iTunes, and uh, I think Spotify is the best place for like the complete discography kind of thing. That's yeah. like the most complete, easy to like navigate. Uh, starting like if you want to hear like really young Evan, <laughs> like two thousand nine, two thousand ten Evan, and like hear like you know the beginnings of like that was like more strictly jazz fusion kind of stuff. You know, like playing with other other instrumentalists and then it kind of got uh it got more into like bedroom production and stuff like that like trying to just have drummers on stuff rather Mm -hmm. than full band things and programming synths and things like that but uh yeah that i mean youtube's a great place to just kind of see visually everything too because a lot of the stuff is just performed live and then just released on record um that would be like youtube.com backslash e marion m-a-r-i-e-n uh, Spotify is Evan Marion is just E B A N M A R I E N, and um, uh, Instagram is pretty much my favorite platform, yeah. and it just feels like that's the most accessible kind of place, like that I can like communicate with people and and show clips of things, show clips like, of yeah. like what you know. I'm just like messing around with a new pedal, I can quickly film and just share it, and uh, but then also like upload higher quality content too. It, like it just has a good balance to the yeah, force of definitely. of things and i don't tend to use twitter a lot but i have a twitter <laughs> i mainly just get on there to just like read my friends tweets right and it gets really <laughs> angry and political of course on there but so i, I kind of not but i like it i still like twitter I, I like get a lot of news from it and then i have a facebook too so i'm i'm, on, I'm like everywhere but instagram well, for, is like the place <laughs> what about so like gigs if you're playing at the 55 uh, or something like for people to see you live what's the sure. best way to i think bands in town is probably the best way i try to keep that as updated as i can and then that syncs it's just my website too my website just has i have actually put like a shows link which actually links to bands in town so it's like you can go to my website and probably that's the best place to like see when i'm playing at 55 or which actually i think i'm playing coming up with uh tim miller great guitar player and uh actually he's like one of my heroes i love playing with Tim. same with wayne krantz all these guys are like my heroes and now i get to like like try to like i don't know it's like it's like i just want to like set it's that, that whole thing now i'm involved with the music making with them but at the same time i just want to like drop out and just like listen to them play <laughs> like that's that's really what i, I want to be 
I want to just I, these are shows that I would go to like uh, grow, you know growing up I would go see Tim Miller play or see Krantz at the 55 bar with like a number of awesome bass players and drummers and uh, and now to be kind of in the other seat it's like a I'm learning a lot basically you know it's like I'm learning more than I think I've ever learned before about like I don't know music right yeah the evolution <laughs> definitely uh, but yeah so my website probably that'd be the best place and it's just evanmarion.com e-v-a-n-m-a-r-i-e-n yeah. sounds good yeah well, thanks for coming over it was great to talk Brian it was great, great to, to talk you. to you great to meet you thank you so much for having me yeah, thanks for coming episode he did the intro and the outro music that you're hearing now you can check out more about him on his social media his website go check him out live thanks to golden artist colors for supporting the podcast and thanks to all the listeners please go to itunes rate and review it really helps out thanks again Thank you.